0: Hey, when does the show start? Wait a minute.
1: (gasps) First, let's hear from our sponsors.
0: Oh, okay. In just a minute.
2: It's always that one time you need a defense attorney and you just don't know who to call, right? Well, I'm telling you, Manny Aurora, the Aurora law firm, he's the best in the business when it comes to a defense attorney. And he's a former prosecutor, so he knows the other side of the courtroom. Located in Atlanta, Georgia, but practices nationwide has handled litigation in over 19 different states. If you need Manny, dot Firm.com. He stops by the show twice a month. Got any questions? Leave it on our hotline, 404-369-3825, or on our social media off podcastthebs.com. One of the great things, personally, that I love about Dave Flashner with Stockton Mortgage, and I know a lot of you that have gone to Dave Flashner with Stockton Mortgage, is that when his phone rings he answers it that's important you're making a huge decision a huge choice when you purchase a property especially if it's your first property your hands are shaking dave flashner is the guy to go to with stockton mortgage plus right now when you close your home loan purchase or refinance with stockton mortgage you'll be automatically entered into a mortgage-free sweepstakes that's one prize winner will be chosen to have stockton mortgage cover their monthly mortgage payment Up to $2,500. That's $2,500 per month in 2023. That's awesome. How do you get a hold of Dave? 561-951-0984. 561-951-0984. Or you go to Stockton.com slash Dave-Flashner. Stockton.com slash Dave-Flashner. Everybody needs a friend. Everybody needs an ear, and that's why Dr. David Markwell and Ridgeline Counseling are the best at what they do. Ten different therapists who work with Dr. David Markwell at Ridgeline Counseling. If you're in the Georgia area, East Cobb, Marietta, near the square in McKaysville, right outside of Blue Ridge. And they assist with a wide variety of behavioral health issues like anxiety, depression, relationship issues, parenting issues, trauma Substance use issues, etc. Offering virtual sessions. If you can't get to the Georgia stops, the website, markwelltherapy.com. Again, markwelltherapy.com.
1: Son of a bitch. I just called to say you should subscribe to The Bailey Show, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Nobody is going to save you now. If you like what you hear, then get a full seven days a week plus of new content by subscribing. PodcasttheBS.com. It's better than radio.
0: Ugh. It's time, ladies and gentlemen. Hey. What's going on? After all these years in the radio business, Jason Bailey is finally unfiltered. I don't know what you want. With his bestest buddy and producer, all the way from Mexico, it's Nate, dude. dude. Sit back, enjoy, here is the podcast ...that is all about intellectually immature nonsense. I I'm
1: have a very particular set of skills.
0: You will love it. Why? Because I'm Jason's neighbor. I'm old man Kevin. <laughs> and by God, this is The B.S.
2: Alright, here it is, episode 56 of The B.S., The Bailey Show podcast. Thanks for being here. My name's Jason Bailey in the Golden Scissors studio, beautiful Roswell, Georgia sponsored by Stockton Mortgage, Dave the Flash Flashner. Thinking about buying a house, need a mortgage, maybe refinancing. He's your guy. Trustworthy, knowledgeable, reliable, picks up the phone, knows what he's doing. I've done business with Dave numerous times, and he wants to help you out. 561-951-0984. Plus, he's a uh, and has been a supporter of our project from the beginning. 561-951-0984. Or Stockton.com slash Dave Flashner. Plus, when you close your home loan uh, when you close your home loan purchase or refinance with Stockton Mortgage, one of the two, you'll be automatically entered into a mortgage-free sweepstakes. What is a mortgage-free sweepstakes, you might ask. One prize winner will be chosen to have Stockton Mortgage cover their monthly mortgage payment up to 2500 dollars per month in 2023. That's pretty cool. So you get a little extra song, something, something which is something you're you going to do. Uh, no Nate. I've been looking forward to this Ooh. episode all week long. There is so much stuff to talk about. I cannot wait. Uh, and I'll explain Nate, the Nate situation, which people, I know I've been teasing it, Brandon, not vague booking it, teasing it, uh, Wednesday and Thursday and, and all that good stuff. So I'll tell you what I know here in just a second. But there's Brandon in the Bunker Studios noon in Georgia. Hello there, Brandon.
3: Hey, hello. I was just thinking how this basement used to be nothing more than a tornado shelter.
2: Isn't it neat how you can turn something in, like something, nothing into something. I was, uh, I had some uh, buddy of mine that was in town the other day, and he and his new girlfriend came over for some drinks. And and he's like, "Do you, you know, people, when they come over to my house that have never been over, they ask to see the studio. To me, I don't think it's a big deal, you know. Uh, But they listen to the podcast and they'll see the stuff that we post on social media and they think it's cool, which is very flattering. So I brought them down here and then I have to explain what it was before. Even when we bought this house, this looked like the bottom of the Titanic. And that was one of the deals for me to purchase this property is I told this fat, scheming, dumb redneck who was a piece of shit that I later found out that I was like, you have to, you have to do the basement cause I don't want to do it. And he did it. He did the basement. And then I tried to like part of it, like where I'm at now, this used to be like, there was a pullout bed and then the, this TV was here. And so if we had a guest over, this is where Nate lived for six months down here, <laughs> but it's still a basement. Right. And uh, on the other side, I tried to make it an office for my wife because I had an office upstairs, I, I'm a big fan. I'm a big believer that everybody should have their own workspace. You, you know, as a kid, you should have your own workspace to do your work, not on your bed. It doesn't go over in my house, but I try. And her office turned into a cl- closet for papers. Just it was she never she never came down here. It drove me insane. So then I bought her uh, an exercise thing she wanted clothes this just full of shit down here that's all it was so now it's immaculate and it's awesome so um
3: it seems a whole lot bigger than well i guess it was just it had been a while since i had seen the basement from the time i first saw it to when the studio got in but it seems bigger down there now
2: well, it's because of the design you know myself and jeremiah fucking sample put some hours into this baby We stretched it out it's, it's very comforting very welcoming I can live down here. I really like it. I like being down here. You know, I wish there were windows. There's no doubt. I wish there were windows, but there's not. So that's it. Um, You need a little more work on your situation. I mean, that's why I call the bunker studios. Like if people weren't listening and didn't know any better, you do look like you're in Ukraine or you're kidnapped or (laughs) you look, you look like Zelensky on Instagram. That's what you look like. (laughs) You look like you're in hiding.
3: I got my, my notes to read on the wall back there.
2: Yeah, yeah that's the other West thing. Beaches. Everybody <laughs> tries to figure that out what's in the background. It's some old workout. I don't know why. why do, you know, put uh, the sh- get the show logo or even if you're going to just spray paint a sheet, uh, put the Clueless too. you know, put something back there. Put something that's eye-catching. You know, I got all this shit in the background. I've always liked that. You know, like those television shows when they started to do that, namely the ESPN shows where their desk would have different bobbleheads and different helmets and I always like looking in the background, pictures of their family and cool shit like that. I always think that's neat. You got to have something to look at. You literally have a cement wall with holes in it, <laughs> and it looks like a stenciled workout. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Like I said, it used to just be a tornado shelter, and it's come a long way. Put stuff uh, up on the wall and put a computer down here.
2: This episode of The BS, uh, presented by Mac Development Group, macdevelopment.com uh is the website. So custom mountain homes and cabins if that's what something something that you're interested in, uh they're really good. The the they're they they're like a one-stop shop, full-service design, build, real estate developer. Their team handles everything for you and that includes the land acquisition and designing your custom home. So if you're looking to build a mountain home or a cabin, kind of like what I have at Paradise City up in Mineral Bluff, uh, this would be in Western North Carolina. That's who you need to get a hold of, macdevelopment.com. And I know it'll take you to different URL and stuff, but it's all linked off of our website as well. Uh, they're currently right now booking for full time builds, and they're looking for folks, uh, folks that, are, that need to get on the schedule. It takes a minute, and they're very, very busy. And thank you for sponsoring uh, the BS on Mondays and Fridays. So you can also hit him up on Instagram and Facebook. They have a really big Instagram following from what I last saw. So that's pretty cool. All right. What do you know about Nate and why he hasn't been with us uh, most of the week?
3: Uh, all I know is I woke up on Sunday morning and I saw that the Clueless 2 podcast had not been posted due to a medical emergency. And I'm thinking, you know what? I did sleep really good last night. I must be in a fucking coma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And I kind of woke up, walked around. I was like, okay, I'm not the medical emergency, so who could it be? And then I texted Nate, and I didn't hear from him. And then I think I talked to you on Monday, and you texted me and said, Nate, Nate uh, had been injured.
2: Yeah. Uh, so here's what I'm hearing. All right. I have not talked to Nate. I've talked to his wife. Nate originally thought he broke both of his hands. What? <laughs> you heard that correctly. Nate thought originally that he broke both of his hands. <laughs> So when I saw that the clueless to, cause I had emailed Nate about a couple things I needed him to do. and I didn't get a response and it's not, it's not unusual for him not to get back to me right away with this new life that he lives. And I've come to accept it. It's fine. (laughs) It drives me insane. Don't get me wrong, but I have to accept it. I've got no other choice. Um, But this one was weird. Something was weird. Something was off. Then I get a text from Alexis, his wife. And she says, uh, we've had an accident. I'm taking Nate to the hospital. He's not going to be able to, you know, do any of the editing for the podcast. And I'm like, oh, my God. So now I got two things running through my brain. First thing is, is he okay? The second thing is, who the fuck's going to do his work? Right. But, you know, you can't I can't just I can't put both of them in the same text comments like, you know, hey, you know, how's he doing? And then is he going to be able to still work this week? (laughs) It's just kind of a dick move. So obviously my first I was very, very concerned. I'm like, oh, my God, what happened? So here's the story from what I have been told. This is all through text. Is he fell up the stairs? And when catching himself, he injured both of his hands to the point where he thought he broke both of his hands. They go to the hospital in Mexico. The doctor gives him x-rays, does the x-rays. He did not break and or fracture anything in his hands. So I'm guessing it's a severe sprain. Currently, Nate is in extreme pain hopped up on whatever meds. They actually had to go back to the hospital midweek and get new meds because the the original meds weren't working. Couple that up with some gummies, I'm sure, and he's trying to get through it. Both of his hands are wrapped up. They're not in casts, but it looks like there's some kind of, not cast, but some kind of hard casing and then wrapped up with an ace bandage. Both his hands. He looks like Steve Buscemi in Grown Ups. You know, where his hands are straight up. <laughs> oh,
3: yeah. <laughs> but he's in that full body cast. <laughs> yeah.
2: So I, 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 I have to ask, you know, I said, w- what happened? My first thought was he's drunk. And, you know, we all have drunk stories. That would have, I, I probably, to be honest with you, that would have irritated me. And I know we've all done stupid shit when we're drunk, and but... I don't know. It just it just you know, you gotta be a little bit more careful, a little bit more responsible. His wife swears that he was not intoxicated. Brandon, do you believe that?
3: Um I mean he probably had a few beers, but he probably wasn't drunk or anything, like hammered.
2: Do you think he was inebri- 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 inebriated in any way?
3: Um maybe a little stoned. But, I mean, it's like, he's, it's what he normally does, so I don't know how that would affect him. But those stairs are fucking dangerous, I'll tell you that. I fell down them, too.
2: Well, he fell up them, okay. Yeah. You might have fallen down them. Okay, so <laughs> what's so dangerous about Mexico's stairs?
3: Uh, well, in Nate's apartment building, they're all concrete and there's like no grip tape and there's no indicator. You know how like usually on stairs they put like a yellow strip so you can like get the depth perception. None of that on the stairs, no grip tape. They're super fucking slick and they're, they're pretty fucking dangerous.
2: Okay. So you are correct. That is accurate. And that's what she said. She said, you know, if you remember the stairs in our condo, uh, everything in, at least in Playa del Carmen, everything's concrete. And and I've always bragged about the architecture being fantastic and very creative and so on and so forth. But the stairs are have a tendency to be narrow. I don't know if Mexicans have smaller feet than Americans or what. But they to me, they see and I don't have large feet. I wear um, an 11 size shoe. So I got a small foot. And so the stairs in Nate's place are, uh, are, are narrow. They're slippery. You are correct, Brandon. And a little jaggedy. They're not the safest. Yeah. They're not the safe. It's not the safest place. And you're right. They don't have any of the, the grip tape on there. So I want to believe that he wasn't fucked up at all. We've all fallen upstairs, I think. I have. It sounds goofy. Yeah. You feel really <laughs> stupid, especially if somebody sees you. But most of the time when you fall upstairs, you're rushing you're wearing slippers, and the stairs are carpeted.
3: Uh, I don't know. I follow up my stairs occasionally, and they're like hardwood floors, so or hardwood stairs.
2: Yeah, but that's you. But, uh, That's not shocking. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Sorry, <Yeah>. it, it <laughs> definitely hurts. Like it's usually like we walk in and like your foot will catch the lip of the stair below you, and you go forward and smack your knee or your hands, but. I'd say falling up is definitely better than falling down, though.
2: So they, I don't think they had to, what is it, there's a name for that lip on a stair. It's like a toe, it's called toe something or whatever. They, I don't think his stairs have that. I mean, they're legit just no, they don't. concrete and they just go down. no, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, They're not a thing. So that's that's the situation. I mean, he's in that much pain right now that he can't do anything. Uh, you know, it's and he doesn't have any hands. <laughs> so you know, I'm going, well, Is he going to be able to, you know, record with us this week? And she's like, he's going to try. I didn't think he would. He did not, obviously. Um, So I'm going, okay, well, uh, you know, he's got a job. We all have responsibilities on this project. And his is very important, just like the rest of ours. If one doesn't get done, you know, it, it hurts. It hurts what we're trying to accomplish here. Nate's is very important. Something that I don't want to do, <laughs> but I got to do it, you know, but he walked. Th- now this is how awesome Nate is and how great of a worker Nate is, how great of a work ethic he has. He walked his wife the day he got out of the hospital that he found out. And he's all fucked up. He's got his hands all over whatever he's on, hopped up on meds. He walked his wife through putting together folders for the commercial breaks in our episode, he then walked her through uploading them to me so I could do what he does. How awesome is that?
3: Yeah. Yeah, he was definitely on top of it. I knew something was up when I got that uh email notification that we had commercial blocks. I was like, why is Nate sending us commercial blocks? Are he going out of town again or something like that? I was like, usually he doesn't send us these.
2: Well, even if even if he does go out of town, he still gets it done. He gets yeah. it done on the road. I mean, he, Nate's never been one to, um, which is kind of one of his flaws. The delegate. He, he, I've always told him that is, you know, he was not hired to be an executive producer for the radio show at first. I brought him up to be the social media manager because that's what he does. You know, he, he's a social media guy. He designs websites, and that's I, I knew that I needed that guy. He was not supposed to be the executive producer. But because we got screwed over by that company from the very, very beginning, uh, he ended up falling into that role and learning that role and becoming very good at that role, which was not his thing. But he still learned on the way. And I had done that job years and years ago. So thank God we had the relationship where he listened to me and trusted me and this. But he would listen to what I had to say, disagree with a lot of stuff that I'd have to say, which is fine. Um, and then turn it into his own, in which you should. You shouldn't just follow the same path as somebody else. I try to teach that way. It's like, hey, look, this is how I did it. This is what is successful, but take that and make it your own so you enjoy doing it. He's never been one to shy away from work. He's going to get it done to the point where he'll overwork himself. He'll burn himself out, and which is what happened with the radio show. So uh, for him not to do something for me for this for this project which he's got just as much in it as I do right I mean if this thing just goes to shit he's actually got a bigger issue than I do
3: So he's gonna be getting massages on the beach
2: <laughs> yeah this is yeah. this is funding his life right now I gotta yeah. tell you I've, I've made it a point you know I, I firmly believe in taking care of whether it's financially or what the people around you because at the beginning of projects it's not gonna you know Maybe you catch lightning in a bottle. We have not. Yes, we've had a lot of success with this in six months that we've been doing it. Um, do things, I think, need to change? Yes, we're going to probably tweak a few things um, moving forward. But all in all, it's a good product. I think it's a very good product. I have a great team around me. I could not accomplish any of this if it weren't for you guys, and I know that. Uh, I knew that before I started it. That's why you know I, I got you guys on board. Uh, but you got to spend the money in order to 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 be successful, you know. So make sure you pay your guys what you can, you know, and then then buy into the project in which is the the Bailey Show podcast, the BS Network. Actually, it's more than just the Bailey Show podcast. But that's the current Nate situation. So if you want to two percenters, go online and say something to Nader Taters. Um, make sure you throw in a good look. No hands. Or, hey, do you need a hand with the podcast? Or something to that effect with a hashtag too soon. <laughs> I'm sure he'll appreciate that.
3: I wondered if he was walking up the stairs and like he went to catch himself and then his hand slipped off that step and like kind of bent backwards. Like hyper, I guess it wouldn't be hyper extended, but like completely folded his hands back or something like that.
2: Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm kind of joking of saying I don't know if I believe it or not. I mean, there's a, little, there's a small percentage of me that doesn't believe the whole thing. You know, I think he might be trying to keep some stuff from me. Um, but I've got no reason. You know, Nate's never lied to me before. So I've no reason not to, to believe that's how it happened. Again, we've all fallen upstairs. You know, it, when he comes back, he can explain it. I mean, we can speculate. I'm going to guess he was in a rush. And he had maybe his hands full. And then when he tripped up, which just sounds so silly, when he tripped up, he kind of threw his hands in the air and then came down, you know, versus if his hands were clear. Nate's got enough balance and know with all to, to, to catch his balance. Um, but he didn't because he had his hands full. I, I'm going to say that's what happened. I'm going to say he was in a rush and he, had, he, had, he was carrying something. That's that's what my. I'm opinion. thinking,
3: I'm thinking he had like his backpack on, and you know you'll put like your thumbs behind the straps and everything when you're running upstairs to kind of keep it from riding around. And then I think he went up, and the front of his flip flop caught the stair behind him, and that's what tripped him up. And then he went to go for it to catch himself, and he couldn't get his hands out in time. And by the time he did, his hands were just like, eh, and they're mangled on the stairs. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah. I, I'm just like you guys. I'm excited to hear the whole story. I want to hear it from the horse's mouth. But we can't do that until Nader Taters gets uh, gets healthy. And right now he is in excruciating pain. Alexis sent me a picture of him. He looks like hell. He you know he hasn't shaved, you know, he's got he's got a beard. He's like leaning up against the wall in their bed and his hands are like propped up. He's trying to sleep. He looks like shit. I felt so bad for the kid. i was like, oh my god, dude, are you okay? Uh, so that's where he's at right now. So I'm sure he would love some love, love some love, if you could send it his way. And then hopefully next week he'll be back with us.
3: Uh, he probably can't respond though, so unless he does like voice the text or has Alexis do it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know. You know if he can use his fingers or not. He's. Supposed to wear this stuff on his hands. It's like his whole arm and his hand. For It's like a cat. It, it looks like a, like a cast. like he broke his forearm. I don't think it goes up to his elbow or around his elbow, but it goes up to his forearm. It's supposed to four to six weeks. God so almighty. So I don't want to do his job time. for four to six weeks. <laughs> I got to tell you that right now. So we're going to figure something out. But he's supposed to get like better within a week. But he's got to wear this stuff for four to six weeks. But keep, keep, the, keep in mind, he lives in Mexico. He lives in paradise. Every day he's doing something outside. He doesn't stay inside mainly because his condo is looks, it's like a prison. It's like a VIP prison cell. It's not very big. You're not partying in the condo. So he's outside all the time doing stuff. You follow him on social media or you follow the Hansons on hiatus on social media. They're always doing stuff. You know, what is he going to do? You know, what is he going to do for his beer chugs and Harmony? <laughs> like, how's this all going to work out for him?
3: Because I wondered he, how is, wonder how I'm wondering how he's eating. Think Alexis is having to feed him. So That's the other thing. My wife and I were talking about
2: this. Um, yeah, absolutely, she has to feed him. How is he bathing? She's going to have to wash his balls.
3: I think the weirder question is, how's he going to the bathroom? That's the that's awesome. the bad one right there. Yeah,
2: <laughs> how, she's. So, Rachel um, t- was texting with Alexis and said, you know, you're going to have to wash his balls and wipe his ass. <laughs> and they've never had kids before. So, so uh, nor are they, do they want kids. But if you're a mother or a father that's had to do I've never had to do that, right? And you know, I would have, a, I don't know, maybe I would be different now if I did. But outside of picking up dog duty, that's, that's my run. You know, it's just, I, I could, I with a human, no, 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 As you get older, you know, when you get to a certain age, somebody's going to have to take care of you, and you're going to have to adjust. My wife asked me that. She goes, are you going to be okay when you get to an age? And I said, I stopped her. I was like, if I make it. And she goes, oh, stop that, stop that, stop that, stop that. She goes, are you going to be okay me doing these things to you? And I said, no. So the the day that I can't do those things for myself, I'm going to kiss you. I'm going to say I love you. I'm going to wish you nothing but the best. I'm going to hand you a folder with all my passwords and my will, and you'll never see me again. <laughs> I just I can't do it. It's just it's, it, you feel so, like, why live? If you can't wash your own balls and wipe your own ass, why even live? Like, what else? You, you can't do anything else if you can't do those things.
3: Well, I mean, I guess it's like, what if you're like a paraplegic, though? You know? Okay, lost two arms, and you're just kind of used to it.
2: I don't know. I, I mean, those 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 individuals are amazing people. They are so much stronger than I could ever be. I couldn't do it. Just couldn't do it.
3: Just I guess it. that's maybe maybe that's why they have like hospice do stuff like that, so you're not seeing that side of your relationship or seeing your lover in that predicament.
2: Can we keep an ounce of mystery between
3: us? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So she's got to do all those things. Oh, man. (laughs) Would you be okay with someday, whoever you decide to marry, Brandon, them doing those things for you?
3: Yeah, I'd be cool with it. I think it'd be harder to do it for them. It'd be kind of weird. Like for a girl? Yeah.
2: Well, if you're watching your wife's balls, you got some other issues that you need to discuss. I did not know these were down here. God, after all these years I never realized you're a dude. Holy <laughs> shit. God, thank God I learned before we all die. It's yeah. good to know. All right. Uh I and, I and this this is like out of all the shows, I really needed him here today. Not that you you've been you've done a fantastic job this week, by the way. Um but I'm just saying I want to talk I well, first I'm not going to do it this segment. I'll do it in, in, in the third segment uh, after we we talk with uh, um, Manny Aurora, but uh, our defense attorney. The 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 phone call. What I posted earlier this week. Everybody's trying to figure out who the phone call was from. I said I've waited my entire life for this phone call. I finally got it. Some of you guessed correctly. Some of you guessed close. Uh, most of you, especially those that know me and my background and my upbringing kind of have an idea but how it all played out very very interesting that will be in the third segment uh and i wanted nate to hear it like because this is a monumental milestone conversation in my life not only my personal life but in my professional life because i i've always said that if this were ever to happen it would be on a radio show and it would be great and be huge but it's going to be on the podcast I don't think I can keep it for a radio show. Either. It's like, you guys, you know what happened four months ago? This is going to blow your yeah. mind. I'm just not going to sound the same. So that was one thing I want to talk to him about. But the other thing is you guys, both you, Brandon, and Nate, have been telling me for the longest time to watch Ozark on Netflix. And it's in its final season. It's Well, it's over. Um, the final season is out on Netflix season five.
3: Oh, it is? Yeah. The part two?
2: Oh, I didn't know there was a part. So so, so, yeah. so, so somebody on the uh, Two Percenters, I think, Facebook group, because I said that I was watching it, said that uh, the ending was weak, but they didn't spoil it. They were way cool about it. And I said, has there ever been an ending to any show that you've enjoyed that you've liked? You, No one likes endings. That's why they're endings. Yeah, They're always bad. No one's going to go, oh, I'm so happy. Because subconsciously, Whatever it is that you enjoy, you know is now over and never going to be again. So nobody likes endings, whether Sopranos or Friends or whatever. Nobody likes it because it's the end. Nobody likes the end. So I, I said, you know, I appreciate you not spoiling it, dude. But and I gave that whole speech. And he goes, you know, you're right, Bailey. I'm like, I appreciate it. So we kind of was cool little chatty chat. So I'm starting from the beginning. I'm uh, That's the
3: best place to start. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> and, and I'm almost through season two. And people just say, yeah, like way (laughs) binging, like you have no idea. This is one of those shows that you can't stop watching. It's that good. Like, I am so sorry I'm late to this party. I almost question, like, I know it was big and I know a lot of people watched it, but I'm surprised there's not much or there wasn't much. Like, fanfare. You know, like when Walking Dead was at its height. Everybody knew about Walking Dead. Whether you're a zombie person or not, you knew. And they were having, you know, uh, Walker Stalker Con, and it was like a big thing. This is ten times better than anything the Walking Dead has ever done. Like, why isn't this a bigger deal? The acting in this, minus maybe one character, which I'll get to here in a second, is phenomenal. The storytelling is great shot a little dark like literally sometimes it's hard to see like i don't know why they shot it so dark it's like that dark blue hue cinematography type of thing going. it's like
3: like all the fucking batmans can't see a damn thing <laughs> y- yeah especially the latest
2: one yeah it's, a, it's way yeah. way dark you're you're right i'm not a fan of but i know it kind of goes with the mood of the whole thing um, so for those that don't know what it's about, Jason Bateman, love Jason Bateman, phenomenal actor. He's uh, a financial guy that gets caught up in money laundering, bottom line. And then his family's caught up in it too. Uh, and they move to the Ozarks or the Ozark. Is that, why is it called the Ozark? Well, I don't even know what it is. Somewhere in Missouri?
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a place off the, It's I guess the ocean right there or something or the bay Missouri Bay or some shit like that. But yeah, that's just the area of the town they're in.
2: But it's all shot in Georgia. That's Lake Altoona, right?
3: Yeah. 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 Or Lanier one of the two. Uh, yeah. Altoona. I think so.
2: Might be both, but I know, I know the Marina at Lake Altoona is used cause people had commented, you know, and, and even some of our, our listeners uh, were extras, you know, like the, they were posting little pictures, which is really cool. I was like, ah, oh, that's cool. That dude this to the podcast. He was in Ozark. That's really neat. You know. Um. So the story's great. You've got you've watched them all, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, I'm caught up. Okay.
2: Except for the ending.
3: Yeah, I don't know if part two's out yet or not.
2: This guy said it was. Said it was weak.
3: Oh, huh, I need to check on that then.
2: So uh, what I've seen so far, uh almost a three, season three it just keeps getting better. It's really phenomenal. I'm surprised Nate likes it as much as he says he does because I could see him looking at this and going, "Oh, this shit's so fake. That would never happen. This is unreal." You know, cuz it's some of some of the stuff is a little absurd. I mean, that that many people dying <laughs> all the time and nobody's like checking in or there's no investigation or there's no trauma like mentally that somebody's dying or somebody's got their head blown. I mean, like there's a, there's a lot that goes, you know, but that's fine. Cause it's, it's make believe it's, it's a television show. What, one of the issues that I have with whatever Jason Bateman does. And I love Jason Bateman. Love, love Jason. I love Jason Bateman all the way to back in the day of silver spoons. If you guys remember that when he was a kid on that show, he, in my opinion, never gets paired with the right person that I believe he could be married to.
3: Yeah. I mean, in Ozarks, or Ozark, um, I don't know, it's, it kind of seems like he's like just a battered husband, and then Wendy's kind of the perfect wife for that and cheating on him and stuff like that, and he's just like, oh, you know, trying to get through it, and now he's got to live every day with you know, did I make the right decision in keeping her alive or not?
2: It's not the character. I'm talking about, well, it is the character. It's the person in real life that plays the character. Like Laura Linney, who plays Wendy Bird, his wife, she's, uh, you know her from a million different things. Um, uh, you, she was, got to just slip in my mind. Truman Show, right? Sully, she was in Sully. Uh... Hyde Park. What's that? That was
3: about them landing the plane in the, in the yeah, river.
2: that was the true story of Sully Sullenberg. Man of the Year. Um, what was it? She was in a big one. Um, oh, she was, uh, she was oh, Truman Show. Yeah, she Truman Show. Uh, wasn't she a primal fear? Congo. That was the one. Congo. She's the, she's the scientist Congo that's going to look for him. So, she's been in a million different things. She's in In my opinion, and kind of an over actor, Um, but Jason Bateman, to me, would be married to a brunette. And all the movies that I can think of that he's in, where he has a wife, they're blonde. Like Couples Retreat, Kristen Bell is his wife. In Couples Retreat, I don't believe that they're husband and wife. Like they just he he's one of those odd guys that, to me, is tough to match up with a wife. I know that sounds weird. Out of all the things we could talk about this fucking show, that's all I could think about. was like, I don't believe that's his wife. <laughs> I don't know. I just like, why can't, they, why can't Jason Bateman find a wife? Um, that's all I could think about the entire time. Weird, huh?
3: Yeah, it's a little weird. Uh, is he, he married in real life? Is he married to a brunette in real life?
2: <sighs> that's a great question. Uh, let me see. I can Google it. I will Google it. I know he's married. Googs. Uh, Jason Bateman's wife. Yeah. Amanda Anka, and she is a brunette. Yes. Jason Bateman's wife is Amanda Anka, the daughter of famed singer and songwriter Paul Anka. The Canadian musician is best known for hits like Diana, Put Your Head on My Shoulder. Petunia, Henry, I'm working. Playtime in a little bit. Thank you. I love you. Uh, Anka's mother, model Anna Anne de Zughead, was married to her father from '63 until their divorce in 2000. She is a brunette. They look like they should be married. His real wife looks <laughs> like they should be married.
3: Her nose looks a little odd, though. It doesn't it's matter. Like an arrow.
2: It doesn't matter. It just looks like they should be married. And it is the first time I've even heard of his wife. This is the first time I've ever seen his wife. But on all the movies he does and all the shows, I just don't don't believe it. But outside of that, um, one of the things that I find remarkable, and this might be Jason Bateman's best acting, like his comedy he kills because he's very much like Ryan Reynolds. You know, Ryan Reynolds has got this snarkiness to him. He's got this uh, condescending attitude, which makes what he says funny, right? Chevy Chase had that too in his humor. That's why Chevy Chase is Ryan Reynolds comedy icon. Jason Bateman has that snarkiness as well. The delivery of the condescending answers, which I think is hilarious. Very office-esque, you know. And throughout what I've seen so far in Ozark, one of the great things that he does, that his character does, is he never overreacts. And he, there, there, anything that happens or is thrown his way, he's so chill and always in control, and I know that's done on purpose because of what he does for a living. But he's put himself—he puts himself in like harm's way all the time, hanging out with these people that are killers. He's seen them kill, and he never sweats it. And I'm sitting there going, "Dude, I would not <laughs> be having dinner with the Snells after what they just did to uh, uh, to Dell." There's no fucking way I'm going over their house and having dinner. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. You know, and everybody's trying to kill each other, and he knows it, and so it's it's remarkable. Ruth Langhorne, also Langmore, this, is it Lang Langmore?
3: Yeah, Langmore. Is that Langhorn? No, Langmore. <laughs> Whatever. So more the, Lang, less more.
2: So the, the 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 White Trash family. This is the same girl that plays Anna Delvey in Inventing Anna. Um, th- she's probably the best actress out there right now. There's no doubt. She's amazing. Absolutely amazing.
3: Yeah. Um I haven't seen her anything besides uh Ozark. I don't know if she was a thing before that, but she is a good actor in there or actress in there.
2: Well she she does the Anna Delvey.
3: Maybe. Well yeah, I know that, but that's probably how she got the role was from Ozark. Well, so I don't I'm, think
2: I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. But the entire White Trash family is great too. Um the FBI agent bothers me a little bit. He's like The gay the, guy? Yeah. He's weird. <laughs> yeah, that whole thing was fucking uncomfortable and weird. Like, I don't mind putting gay stuff in movies. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not a homophobic by no stretch of the imagination. It just, I just didn't understand it. Like, what was the need for that? Like, they, that's, that's another thing about Ozark. They have some odd sex scenes. Like, I have yet to see one sex scene that's titillating. That I, that I would be into. Like, all the sex stuff that they're showing, you know, they, they, they of course, the video of his wife cheating, like, that's weird. Like, I've never seen that woman in, in that kind of predicament. I've never seen Jason Bateman in a sex scene that I know of that's that graphic. And at the end of Couples Retreat, he and Kristen Bell, they go into the, the shed and they start having sex, and it was like crazy love, rough sex kind of thing. But it was kind of in the comic sense um, that's fine. But Jason Bateman standing behind his wife, who we've never, that I've never seen in a sex scene before, just was weird. The Snells, them having sex, that's disgusting. I don't need to see that. The FBI agent um, banging the dude. I could go without that, to be honest with you. The 15-year-old, holy shit, I could not believe That they put that in there, that shocked me. You know, because like, why you're you're watching it? You're an adult. She plays a 15 year old, but you're going. How are you supposed to watch this and not, especially as a father? How are you supposed to watch this and be into it? I mean, I know it's part of the story and stuff, but it was just, it was kind of unnecessary too. Like it was like a one in and one out from the dude. He just left.
3: So you talking about uh, their daughter? Yeah, Charlotte. What? I don't remember that scene
2: on the boat with the twenty-one-year-old, the guy visiting from Chicago. I think it was like Zach uh, or something.
3: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like he hit on her one day at the lodge, and uh, he asks, you know, his, then then he then she decides to go out on the boat, and then she decides to she seduced him. Um, even though he wanted it, but he asked her, he's like, are you old? He asked her, he goes, are you old enough to drink that beer? And she goes, nope. And then just starts kissing him. And then they go at it. I was really uncomfortable.
3: Tell me about Ruth's brother.
2: No, 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 She, I, if they've slept together, I haven't gotten to that part yet. Um, no, this was the guy, the one-off guy, this, the, the ripped dude from Chicago that was just, you know, there for 4th of July weekend. Just in town. This would have been <laughs> in end of episode one, episode two, you know. And then she becomes like a pothead with Ruth's brother, and her parents are totally cool with it. It's like this 15-year-old's going out of the house. She's drinking beers and smoking weed with this, like, white trash family that's a bunch of felons, and they're, they're cool with it. But I guess when you're a family of money launderers, you gotta yeah. be a little open-minded, I guess.
3: You got bigger problems.
2: <laughs> you got bigger problems. Because this is a different you know, but and that's the other that's the other crazy thing about how this is written is they're such a conservative family. Like they look like it. I mean, that's part of the ruse, right? Is that they're this very normal, down to earth, conservative family. There's no way they could be into all this bullshit. And it's just it's a fun. I'm so pissed that I was not there from the beginning I really really and I've also accept I've accepted this is something I've been uh, kind of against is binge watching I just like I just never had time for it you know like I can't sit there in front of the television and watch it for all the time and then if a show has already passed me by I have a problem going back and watching it and I'll be honest with you one of the reasons I didn't watch this even though I love Jason Bateman is I don't like the name just something about the name I don't like like, visually, I look at it, and I'll be like, I don't like it. And you'd think you'd like it because it's got eyes in it. It's got an O, a Z, a K, an R. I mean, those are, like, cool letters. Just the best it. letters. <laughs> I, just, I just didn't like Something about it, I didn't like the name. Isn't that weird? Just didn't like it.
3: Yeah. guess that's the old judge a book by its cover.
2: I guess. But, wow, if you haven't watched this thing, don't watch it. Especially with, with it being the last season. You know? And then you can get in on... Uh, the the big grand finale. I don't know where it's going to go. Holy shit. God, those Snells. Mrs. Snell, what a crazy bitch. I'm, you know, like here are some predictions to where I'm at now. I think Mr. Snell is going to take out Mrs. Snell. I don't know if it's going to happen. Don't tell me. Wait, you said what? Wait, say that again. Don't don't tell me if I'm right. But I okay. I think moving forward from where I'm at, Mr. Snell is going to take out Mrs. Snell.
3: I think he's going to kill Snow Snow's going to take out Mrs. Snow.
2: Huh. Because she will never get over the fact that he took out Ash, the big goofy guy.
3: Oh, part. okay. So you did see that part, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's going to hold that against him because she talks about wanting a kid and all that stuff. And he's trying to do business, and now they're digging on the land, and... They agreed to the resorts, and they're going against everything that the Snell Heritage family believes in, and they're doing it, and uh, she's becoming really annoying, and I think he's just going to get sick and tired of it and just take her out. That's what I think. I bet you I'm right, too. Anyway, uh, I'll get to the big phone call that I got the other day here in the uh, third segment of today's BS. You're going to like this because it's going to start a very interesting and compelling storyline that I promise you will not hear anywhere else in the world on any podcast. If you want some real-life shit, you're going to get ready. You're about to go on a journey of the realest, real-life shit you could possibly imagine.
0: Hold up. Wait a minute. Let's hear from our sponsors. Watkins Law
2: Firm, trial and litigation attorney. self so it's personal injury, wrongful death, contracts and transactions, landlord and tenant disputes, or just general civil litigation, Watkins Law Firm. LLC is where you need to go. Get a hold of Tyler Watkins, Watkins Law Firm. LLC. And here's Tyler's tip of
0: the day If you're on someone else's property for a reason other than business, the owner is only liable if they intentionally hurt you. So if you're over at someone else's house for a party, make sure you don't trip down the stairs. Because even if the owner is found negligent, you still can't recover.
2: Get a hold of Tyler Watkins, Watkins Law WatkinsLawFirm.llc, serving all of Georgia. Next time, talk to Tyler. In the market to build a mountain home or cabin in western North Carolina, Mac Development Group these are the people that you need to call. These are the people you need to talk to. MacDevelopment.com is the website currently booking for full-time builds, and they're looking for you to get on the schedule today, providing a premium product in the Western Carolina market, and they are the premium builder in the area. Putting everything together in this amazing 3D software, the process is easy, and it's a one-stop shop with Mac MacDevelopment Group. MacDevelopment.com. I want you to call my wife. But not for those reasons, you weirdo. I want you to call my wife Rachel Guy because you want to participate in this crazy market that's happening right now and take advantage of a house. She is the best at doing what she does, and that is a realtor with Keller Williams' Atlanta North office. Anybody that's dealt with my wife, and I know a lot of you two percenters have – Uh, She's absolutely amazing. I can tell you firsthand. You know, if you're a first time homebuyer, she's going to walk you through it. If you've done this numerous times before, you might learn something. She's great. So if you're looking to buy or sell, call Rachel Guy because she's your guy. 404 797 4600. That's 404 797 4600. Let's keep it before 9 p.m. All right. Some of you call fairly late, it's a little annoying. No offense. Stress-free buying and selling in, like I said, this crazy nutso market. You can also shoot her an email. I am guy at gmail.com. I am guy at gmail.com.
0: And back to you, Jason. This story,
2: this story that is about to be told is amazing. It's a story of a man that screwed up, realized he screwed up, and now is winning in the biggest way possible. His name is Stanley Andressi. He's got a book from prison cells to PhD. It is never too late to do good. And it must feel good to do these rounds and talk about this book, Stan, knowing where you were, what you did, and what you're now accomplishing. That's pretty remarkable.
4: Yeah. um, It's a pleasure to be here and, Talking to you and your audience about, you know, my journey and, you know, what I'm doing now in terms of helping others who have walked similar paths and faced similar challenges and had similar experiences to help them see that, you know, there is this light at the end of the tunnel. uh, And there is a, you know, if you hold on to hope and you have a bit of support, you know, things can things can definitely change for the better.
2: Well, uh, Morgan Freeman says in Shawshank Redemption, hope is a dangerous thing, and you're telling people that he is wrong, Red is wrong in the movie, and hope <laughs> is a beautiful thing, and you should hold on to it, right?
4: Yeah, I think, you know, I think believing in yourself is, is you know, if, if you, some might call that hope, um, but the true form of what I see it as is, and, and it was for me, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get into that. It was this, um, the system and all the things that led up to me moving into the system kind of stripped away every ounce of like my being, of my human being it is, you know, really this dehumanization process that strips you away of feeling as if you have self-worth and value. Um, so it was really a process of me. And I had some support to get there of uh, believing in myself again, and so I mean that's that's the hope part. I mean, if you want to use the word hope, I think more more you know accurately, it's like getting to this place where you believe in yourself. Because I had, in a way, I was you know about to stop believing in myself, and I had uh, some support to you know tell me not to do that. Well, let's
2: explain. Let's do a timeline here. Uh, where the story starts, the story starts when you're a younger man, not that you're old now, but you're a younger man and you make some bad life choices and end up in jail. So start there. What did you do? Uh, how did you get pops? How long were you in jail? At least the first time.
4: Yeah. So, um, I'm originally from the Ferguson, Missouri area of, uh, North St. Louis, I think a lot of folks have become familiar with uh, different things that took place in Ferguson and the over policing and excessive policing. Of course, I had no idea what any of that meant back then, uh, living in, in, in you know Ferguson and in and around Ferguson. And um, but you know, I, I definitely remember getting like m- many many interactions with the police even before uh, my first actual arrest at 14 years old. Uh, And, you know, moving into getting a conviction and moving into the juvenile system, even before that, I can remember as early as like eight years old, like running from the cops Um, and just, you know, in the neighborhood where I lived, there was just a strong police presence. And, you know, for me, uh, the neighborhood I grew up in was primarily black. Um, And, you know, uh, my family. And I are Haitian immigrants, so we, you know, came from Haiti, and even in this, even in this primarily black community, we were ourselves a bit of uh, outsiders, uh, you know, different than a lot of the other uh, black families that were there. But you no, know, so I, I remember just already having this view of the police that they see us as criminals. I must live in a place that has high amounts of violence and crime because the police are always here. So there was this like thing percolating in the back of my head like I live amongst criminals. There's so many cops around all the time um, and you know you have that bubbling on and I'm seeing different things take place in the neighborhood. I I end up you know uh, eventually you know I started selling drugs before I was even a teenager. I got in you know involved in selling drugs at a much deeper level as my teenage years went on to the point um you know I kind of equated in, in my book that you, you know, mentioned from prison cells to PhD, it's never too late to do good. Um, I equated to, you know, making lawyer doctor money. And by you know, by the time I was nineteen years old I was making hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I had progressed pretty quickly in in in, in selling drugs. Um But even, you know, even before the first arrest, even before getting so deep into selling drugs, um, you know, I can remember back in elementary school and middle school and definitely by the time high school came around uh, in school, I was seen as the troublemaker. I had multiple disciplinary actions and, uh, um, you know, suspensions and detentions and uh, by the time I got to high school, I was nearly expelled several times. The only thing that was my saving grace was I was a three-sport athlete, and the disciplinary principal was actually my track coach. So he,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: he kept saving me from getting kicked out. Like, we need him. He's a, you know, state competitor. So, uh, you know, I was a state. Were you, were you taking drugs too? Uh, I started, I mean, I think – you know, if anyone that's dabbled into, uh, you know, s- using or uh, selling drugs, it it all kind of started with. Um, I mean, even my selling started with me smoking a little bit of weed and and, and wanting to get free weed. So well,
2: you're not supposed <laughs> you know, if, you, like, if you sell it. You're like to like if you, if you sell it, you're not supposed to to do it, you know, cause then you're just,
4: you're, you're using the <laughs> well, so your product. I, I ended up, uh, I mean, I, I didn't, um, I ended up, um, you know, getting into selling, uh, pills and ecstasy and Coke. And, uh, I, I didn't do, uh, any of that stuff, but I, I, did smoke, uh, a considerable amount of weed. And I think that was, uh, the start of me selling was, um, just because me and my buddies wanted to, Smoke a little weed for free, so we get a little bit extra. Smoke a little bit, sell a little bit, and it's it started off as as that. Yeah. Um, Weed's but, different, you know. Weed's
2: not really a drug. You know, that's <laughs> a like if you're if you're popping pills, I snorting like yeah, I mean, it's that's that's. So a little bit uh,
4: I mean, I eventually moved to you know, I I, I hear that a lot, and I I, I believe it. it's 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 legal now, um, but you know, I was selling uh you know 100 to 200 pounds of weed every couple of weeks that's a lot in, in multiple different states so uh you know at that level it's a it I, I moved into a completely different territory of like drug dealing where everyone was carrying guns around and um you know we're dealing with hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, tens of thousands, each transaction each each of my you know my smallest transactions were tens of thousands of dollars so um, it was definitely a different arena that I had moved into.
2: Would you cons- is- Would you con- Sorry, Brandon. Just give me a second. Would you? Would you consider yourself uh, a product of your environment? You know, going back to you know where you grew up, surrounded by law enforcement, and the heavy police presence. You know, there's going to be bad apples in every bunch, terrified of the cops, even though you're not doing anything wrong. But you're surrounded by cr- the criminal element. You know, you get to a point where. You, I'm assuming, I don't know, you tell me, Stan, you say, hey, look, yeah. if everybody else is doing it, they automatically assume we're doing it. I might as well do it.
4: Yeah, yeah. And and, and that's that's where I was kind of getting to. And, and, you know, so that was going on inside my neighborhood. But then inside school, um, you know, I was, my intellectual capabilities weren't really being nurtured at that time. I was you know, I was an athlete, so that was being nurtured. I had coaches nurturing that athletic talent, and also trying to keep me out and uh, or you know keep me in school so I could stay in sports. But no one really nurturing the intellectual talent that I had. Uh, where it was being nurtured was in the streets, because you know I was using those the intellect and the savviness to move from selling nickels and dimes to you know to large amounts. But um, most of my like most of the authorities and teachers and people in my life, you know, uh, authority figures in my life um, really just saw me as a troublemaker. And really, even before I was arrested for that first time at 14 and moving into the juvenile system, I was already by my teachers and the authorities that were, you know, in my life seen as a criminal. So I was, you know, so I'm seeing criminals all throughout my neighborhood, even, you know, as early as eight years old running from the cops been in school, no one's telling me that school and intelligence is cool. Instead, they're saying that you're a troublemaker. So yeah, as you just mentioned, uh, it just, it seemed like it was the right, it, it, it seemed like it was the path that was set for me. And of course, what I'm kind of mentioning, and I know now, I know a lot more about now, I didn't know then again, I didn't know about excessive policing, over policing, nor did I know about the school to prison pipeline. But that's, that's what, you know, people in my neighborhood were set into this pipeline. Um, and, you know, the police thought that we were criminals. The teachers in our lives thought that we were criminals. Um, all that we were good for was, you know, m- my neighborhood actually has like a high, uh, one of the highest percentages of producing folks that went to the, that go to the NFL. Uh, the particular high school that I was at, um, Hay- or it was in my district was Hazelwood East, like had the most, uh, NFL athletes anywhere, uh, of any school in, in, in St. Louis. Uh, but it's also like one of the like highest crime areas. So it's like, all you could be possibly good for is athletics. If you're coming out of this particular area.
2: Yeah. But you, you know, you say there was high policing in one hand, um, like almost saying it like it was unnecessary. But you've said numerous times that there's a high crime area and even to the you wouldn't have gotten into doing what you did if you weren't a product of your environment.
4: Well, I perceived it as being a high crime area because of so many police. Not I don't know that it was any I don't know that there was any more drug dealing going on there than the place where I eventually got caught up in, which is slightly outside of St. Louis. Uh, this place called St. Charles. It's a predominantly white area. The guy that I was, uh, you know, my my one of my right hand man, you know, uh, who was also moving, you know, you know, uh, nearly hundreds of, uh, you know, hundred pounds per week. You know, he was he was. <laughs> I call it my fab five in the book. So I had about five people moving anywhere from 20 to 50 pounds every couple of weeks. He was, you know, one of my top guys, uh, was this white guy from this all white area. And I mean, he's, he had his whole city unlocked. And so he's, you know, he's selling massive amounts of drugs. So there's a lot of drug dealing going on there, but there was no police presence there. Right. Uh, So, you know, the police presence in uh, my area gave me the perception. That there was more crime taking place, not that there was more crime taking place. And that's when you got smart. You are like, I am going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna
2: hire the white guy because there's no cops over there. <laughs> uh, I mean,
4: that was part of the intellectual <laughs> savviness. I was like, yeah, this, I was actually charging uh, twice the price, and <laughs> yeah. he was making he was making a killing because he was charging like quadruple the price.
2: <laughs> <laughs> smart, it
4: was, it was smart. definitely a business uh, smart a good business. business move, but then when I got popped, uh, you know, um, I ended up so uh, I ended up getting caught in this area called St. Charles, primarily white, um, and and the prosecutor, you know, she was. It was my third. Fel- by the time I got uh, caught up and uh, that led to me getting sentenced to prison, uh, it was my third felony conviction. I had the one when I was a juvenile. I had another that led to uh, another felony, uh, a class B felony conviction that led to a a shock incarceration. So I was sent to prison as a shock incarceration. Um, And then uh, on the third one, um, you know, I'm sitting in this uh, courtroom, and this prosecutor, this white lady from this primarily white area, wanted to essentially hang me. She was pushing for life in prison because uh, I had a uh, a Class A felony, which is the same class as murder, as armed robbery, as bank robbery. You know, these are considered to be violent crimes, and again. Uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, there's there's some misconceptions about like drug crimes. So you hear drug crimes, and you think that it's not that serious. But again, at that particular level, the prosecutor was well aware. And there was there ended up being this pretty large indictment of a number of different people and, you know, all different types of drugs, as well as uh, multiple guns being confiscated. So the prosecutor was like, this is a drug charge, but you know, don't she she was pushing for life because she felt that I was this dangerous start to society, and that at the level I was selling drugs, um, you know, I needed to go away for life in prison. Um, so it was an, it was an advantage to you know sell in, in the white area, but then when I got popped, mm-hmm. I was you know I was seen as this like black you boogeyman.
2: Know. Yeah, I mean you're the, you got, <laughs> like get this guy out of here, Brandon. Question for Stan. Go ahead. <laughs>
3: Oh, uh, yeah, you said you were like trafficking or selling to like multiple states and stuff. Where did yeah. you like find these connections? Like, was it like you went from, you know, selling dime bags to like next yeah. month you're selling to states or?
4: Yeah, so, uh, I mean, as early as, uh, you know, my, my high school connection, um, you know, I, again to like the, the intellect part of it, I, my, my right hand man, um, who was somebody from, you know, the area that I was from uh, in in North St. Louis, uh, he always wanted to like sell at a higher price. Like he was like, like we we had a, we had a pretty good connection for high school kids. Um, And so we had it for a low price and he was like, we just need to triple our money and sell it like for some good stuff. We need to sell it for a higher price. And I was always about selling for a lower price and selling as much as we can. So, uh, things just kind of, even in high school, um, we ended up getting connected with this guy who was getting, uh, like had a a Mexican, uh, connection. So he, um, was giving it to us, um, and also plugging us with, with new connections and we were moving it for him, um, in that way. So even from high school, I, I, you know, I was selling outside of St. Louis and outside of the state, but then a little bit later, um, I connected with uh, uh, some folks from Kansas City that were just—they were moving. I mean, you know, they were—you know—they were getting me hundreds of pounds every couple of weeks. They themselves were moving like five hundred plus pounds, um, and you know, at that level, you just—you just end up getting massive amounts of connections that are not just in the state. So that the new connection that I got in Kansas City, like just introduced me to a number of different places and and then the other the other thing was uh like some friends um in the book i call it my fab 5 1.0 and my fab 5 2.0 um that that you know i always kind of kept this small circle uh the fab 5 1.0 were just were close friends and you know i explained this in the book and part of the um one of the phrases that I use often is we were teenagers. So we, from this area that is, you know, high poverty, uh, the economic situation is, is rather dismal. Um, you know, most of my friends, uh, financially their families were, were struggling. So we seen selling drugs as a way to improve our family's economic, uh, mobility and financial, uh, you know, abilities, um, the, those first five, eventually, some of them kind of moved off. Like one of them went to Miami, one of them went to Atlanta, one of them went to Detroit, and and then that was the other way that we, you know, that I kind of branched off um, is connecting with those friends that were part of that original group, and then they went to those cities and kind of were, you know, moved, continuing to move away.
2: Are there worse charges that could be brought up against you if they ever found out back then?
4: I mean, from the book.
2: No, 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 no! I'm just saying, you know, you got popped three times. That's yeah. why you know this prosecutor wanted to give you life. But you mentioned, you know, just like we could all imagine, there's more stuff going on. I mean, you're you're not yeah, getting you're yeah, not getting I mean, caught for everything. So you got guns involved. I'm sure there was somebody that got killed along the way. You know, so if they found if they knew the real story, then you would have been in a lot more trouble. That's what I'm asking.
4: Uh, so I explained that in, in the book, I go into pretty good detail. So, um, yes. And I actually, I actually went to, for this book, uh, I went to a lawyer, um, and, you know, went through, had the lawyer go through the book and, you know, see if anything that I was mentioning had any statutes of limitation uh, to it. Um, and you know, I, I made sure, um, you know, I, I had that in consideration when I was, uh, writing it. Um, there was, you know, I mean, I, for instance, um, you know, uh, there were, there were multiple charges that, that ended up the process, you know, they, that got dropped against me. Um, so there was definitely some things that,
2: uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about stuff the prosecution didn't even know about. You know, there are things that probably aren't even in your book, maybe even your wife doesn't know about, just because you want to leave that shit behind. Uh, I don't blame you, but that's what my point is. What would I tell you now, then? Well, I'm not asking you to tell me now, (laughs) and and I don't expect you to tell me now. I'm just saying that it exists, um, that this is just half the story, but to protect you and to protect other people, you ain't telling the whole story, and I don't blame you. I wouldn't either. That's what I'm saying.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, uh, allude to that in, in the book. Um, and you know, I, I quickly realized, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, my fab five 1.0 where we were trying to like help out our families. It was, it was, it was really all about family. And then this fab five 2.0, which includes this, this, this white guy from, uh, you know, this predominantly white area who, also, you know, you know, it was it was actually, you know, <laughs> it was actually like when I when I started interacting with him, and I learned that like he was carrying a gun around on him all the time, and I'm like, this is like one of the one. Everyone else on the team is, is all black, and I'm like, the one white guy is carrying like I need to be strapped up if the white dude is strapped up, and like if I moved into the territory where the white guy is strapped up. Like uh, I mean, that that was actually one of the turning points that I ended up um, like started carrying a gun with me for for most of the transactions because my I noticed that like my Fab Five One was we were all it was family we were we were we were day one friends um, that ended up like moving into moving a lot of weight and then the second group of people that I they were just business partners you know they weren't you know. Uh, They weren't friends, essentially, you know. Couldn't We loved each other because we were helping each other make a lot of money, but, you know, it was just a completely different element to it.
2: So moving forward, that's the bad, by the way, for those listening. That's the bad part. But, you know, my philosophy on bad is you can't have good without it. Luke Skywalker would be nothing without Darth Vader. You know, so in Stan's case, he's going through this. You know, we've seen it a million times or read about it a million times, but not everybody does what Stan does and says enough is enough. I'm going to use this time in prison to better myself. So when did that click in and what did you what did you do to begin that process?
4: Yeah. So, you know, going back to um, what I was mentioning of sitting in in that courtroom in my early 20s and I had this prosecutor uh, painting this picture of me as this dangerous threat to society and that, you know, pushing for life in prison. She actually um, sentenced me or uh, was successful in placing me as a career criminal. So it was essentially Missouri's three strikes law uh, because I had three separate felony convictions at three separate times. A lot, You know, some, some folks have like 20, you know, I, I know people that had like 20 felony convictions and Uh, You know, if you that happened all at at one time, like writing 20 bad checks all at once gets you 20, you know, mail Mm -hmm. fraud or whatever, or, you know, robbing multiple places all in one time gets you multiple robberies, for instance, but it's all in one sitting. So they can't hit you with this particular Statute, which says that this is a career criminal. This is a person that, on multiple occasions, we've given him some type of sanction, and you know he doesn't seem to. It's been ineffective in helping him change. Um, So you know it's the the three strikes law. Three strikes and you're out. Started in Cali. You know many different states picked up different variations. This was Missouri's variation of it. And so what it did was my crime was originally. Uh, My time was 5 to 15. Uh, That was my range. Uh, It changed my range from uh, 5 to 15 to 10 to life. And she was pushing for the highest. She was pushing for life. Mm -hmm. And she was, again, painting that picture as like, don't get it twisted. This person is dangerous. Um, And you know, the judge, after all of this back and forth between my attorney and the prosecuting attorney, um, the judge, in her eyes, granted me mercy and sentenced me to 10 years in prison. Um, and in this moment, you know, I'm in my early twenties, you know, I look relatively young now, uh, as a, you know, as I'll, I'll, tell you what I, what I'm doing now, but, you know, um, shortly here, but, uh, look relative, if I look young now, I looked really young then, and, you know, she's pushing for, for life in prison. Um, and then I get this 10 and, All of this is like sinking in in this, you know, I'm in my early 20s and I just it was almost this out of body experience when I when I finally came to to realization that she just said, you know, I was since the 10 years in the Missouri Department of Corrections. The first thing that I thought to do uh, was I asked the judge if I could go hug my mother, who at this point was in the courtroom bawling in tears. I'm the youngest of five. I mentioned we're Haitian immigrants. She really never, you know, I mentioned our family was kind of outsiders, even amongst this black community, because we spoke a different language. Uh, English is actually my second language that I learned. So, you know, my mom, her kids were all that she had, and her youngest son was going away, so she's falling. And, you know, I asked the judge if I could go hug her before I went off, and the judge denied me uh, the chance to go hug my mother and, you know, asked to immediately handcuff me and shackle my feet and take me up. Um, I I share that often because I had been in and out of courtrooms making bad decisions and entangled in the legal system for some time. But for some reason, like I had the belief that there was justice in the system and that, you know, the system cared about the people that went through the system. And it was kind of at that moment, it was like hit me as a ton of bricks that the system doesn't see you as a human being they don't see you as somebody who's deserving of respect and civility to go hug their mother even um and and that was repeated like every single day every single hour every single minute of incarceration uh was another event that dehumanized you and said that you weren't really human you weren't really a person you aren't a citizen you don't deserve respect like every day there's just multiple sing multiple things uh, that hit you. And that's, you know, in the beginning I was mentioning that it's w- what prison really does and what the system really does is strips you of your humanness, like it dehumanizes you and strips you of all your self worth and self value. And so that was the beginning of this, like hit in the face of like, wow, like what have I just gotten myself into? Um, and so I went into prison just being told by this prosecutor that I was going to be in this revolving door of incarceration, and so I was moving in that way. I was kind of at the beginning, um, you know, uh, interacting. I explain this in um, the book, um, and I've, you know, you know, many, maybe you've you've heard this before, but uh, like the first day of prison, um, I'm walking in, you know, I'm. I I wasn't shown. But, you know, I'm scared. First day of prison, I'm in a maximum security prison. um, And I don't know what to expect. I have this sack that has like my pillow and bedding in it. And I'm holding in my hand just a single sheet of paper. And on that single sheet of paper is your rap sheet, essentially what you were charged with. And immediately, like somebody comes up and uh, like, you know, You know, I I thought I was about to get into an altercation, like, within the first 30 minutes of, like, walking into my prison wing. Uh, And this guy, you know, asked for my sheet. And I was like, do I give it to him? Do I not give it to him? Do I punch him in the face, like, immediately to show that I ain't playing no games? Like, what do I do in this situation? Like, all this, I'm trying to stay cool. Like, you know, like, I'm not, like, completely, like, just you know, scared and, 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 you know, so it was, a, it was this Mexican guy and, and this other white guy and the white guy, uh, you know, look, you know, convinced me to say, you know, just go ahead. It's, it's, it's you know, it's, we're not, we don't beat any hard, man. He just wants to see your sheet. Um, and, you know, he ends up looking at my sheet and he sees what I was charged with class a drug trafficking. He, he ended up, he was kind of the, the guy for the wing. And he was this big time uh, trafficker that got caught up from Cali and just immediately within like the first 30 minutes of me getting into prison, I was already being propositioned because they saw my level of I was already put on like a higher pedestal of criminals because of the class of my charge and what they saw about my charge and people that I was affiliated with. And I was propositioned, like, you need to hang with me. I'm a big-time drug dealer, too. I can make you sell more drugs. Like, 30 minutes in, and I'm already getting propositioned to sell more drugs. And, um, you know, having just been told that I was going to be in this revolving door, you know, much of my earlier time was thinking, like, you know, why shouldn't I become a better criminal? Because that's all that's going to be expected of me anyway. Um, So, you know, I'm battling those types of inner thoughts in my early time of incarceration of, am I truly worthless? Am I truly hopeless? Am I stuck in this revolving door? Um, I was fortunate enough to have this mentor step into my life that was, you know, voice on the other side. I had, you know. I had this big time drug Mexican cartel drug dealer met in 30 minutes telling me like, join me. I'm about to get out and I'm going to, I'm going to make you even, you were big, but I'm going to make you even bigger. Um, And, you know, all the other voices on this side. And I had just this one mentor telling me like, you can use your talents and uh, potential differently. Like I see so much in you. And that person started investing in that potential and, you know, putting money in my books, taking my phone calls. Um, and this person being my life tied with um, almost immediately when I went away, uh, my dad went through a number of hospitalizations, surgeries, and, uh, you know, several amputations, uh, and it eventually ended up losing his battle with type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. And it was this culmination of different things going on um, that you know, when we think about um, like sickness, death, dying, and, and, and grief and dealing with difficult things like that, um, you know, many people on the inside are facing grief, whether it be someone dying, like I, you know, was going through, or whether it be missing their children, or whether it be a significant other sleeping around on the outside and, and leaving them. So they're going through this grief. And on the inside, you know, in prison, um, when we think about the stages of grief, like anger, for instance, I can't just get up in Brandon's face and like, fuck you, man. Like, I,
3: this is some
4: bullshit. Like, Brandon's going to punch me in the face. <laughs> and there's going to be harm brought my way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you, can't show anger, which is a natural thing that you do when you're grieving. Right. When you think of one of the other stages, uh, sadness, um, you know, I can't just start crying in prison cause that will be seen as weakness. And like, there's just people lurking to see weakness in others and, 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 you know, capitalizing on that. So, you know, well, you can't really go through grief.
2: Well, sad- sadness is actually not one of the five stages of kubler Roth's uh, five stages of death. It'd be depression. You know, you have depression, you have anger, you have bargaining you have denial, and then you finally have acceptance. So I, I, as you're talking about this, Stan, I'm thinking, I'm going, yeah, if you're incarcerated, you can't do any of those things. (laughs) You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't be depressed. You sure the hell can't bargain. You know, um, you can't be angry. You, you, you you know, the acceptance is the only thing that you can have and you've got to find out how to get there. Without showing but up yeah, that's,
4: that's the final stage right, exactly. where you, you have to go through all those other stages to, to get to that stage. And I mean, you you can't get there. Uh, and, and, you know, for me, what I found is that's actually why people or what I experienced. Um, there's a lot of people acting out, getting in fights, you know, carrying shanks and, and things of this nature. Uh, a lot of it is because there's so much trauma and grief going on in their life and they have no channel to release that. And instead they, they do these, you know, different things. They get involved in deeper in prison culture. For me, I took that emotional distress that I was going through and not having a way to properly channel it. And I channeled it into learning about diabetes. Um, And, you know, so I read my first article, scientific article on diabetes while I was locked in this cage. And, you know, what it did for me was uh, although my body was, you know, locked in this, my physical body was locked in this prison cell. My mind was freely roaming around the human cell. And that actually kind of helped, you know, and it would, the other thing that it, you know, did besides like helping me kind of expand and free myself, or or I should say how it did that was like, these articles were very dense. I had no way of understanding them. Every other word is something you've never heard of before. So it would literally take me days, weeks, even months to read it. So it was like, Time was passing by just to read one one article, so it was it was that that kind of like took me away from the prison culture and really um, had me dive deep into myself, into thinking what I could be and who I am and who defines who I am. And you know, I, I got to this place that I should define who I am, not this prosecutor, not the system, not the incarcerated people that I'm with that are telling me I need to move in this way, that I need to sell drugs in this way, and so that tied with this mentor, which, you know, there was a piece of my faith that was in in that process of finding me. Um, but that tied with this mentor and this, you know, my dad going through this, uh, you know, uh, what he was going through. Um, I wanted to continue my education and kind of just full force started to believe in myself again. Um, and, you know, I, When it was uh, time for me to be released, I ended up putting together a number of applications to continue my education. Um, It took months and months to put these together for challenges. Like you can only get five pieces of paper in any given mail. So like when applications were sent from schools, they're like 30 pages long. They all got rejected. I had to find ways to get them in. I had to find ways to write the essays and things of that nature. So it just took a very long time to put these together. Um, and almost, and then I had to have someone on the outside helping me and pressing the submit button. Almost immediately, as they press submit, the very next day, after taking months to put them together, just rejection after rejection after rejection, I was rejected from every single place except for St. Louis University, where this mentor was on the committee, um, and I got into St. Louis University and just you know never looked back. I ended up completing my MBA and PhD simultaneously at the top of my class in a much shorter time. Eventually moving on to Johns Hopkins, which is the number one uh, research institution in, in, in the country, uh, moving into the endocrinology department, which I started learning about diabetes and endocrinology while I was in that prison cell, partly how I was ahead like, of my folks in the class. I had already, like, learned all of it because I self-taught myself. Um, but, you know, ended up getting into Hopkins and then eventually, you know, moving here to Howard, uh, where I am now as a, a tenure-track assistant professor and professor. Uh, Uh, endocrinologist
2: that's it's it's amazing that you're able to go from point a to point b but one thing throughout this conversation that i haven't heard you say and i don't know if you say this in the book and i'm assuming you do speaking engagements because you have such an, an inspiring story i mean it's not just if you go to jail you can become this it's it's got every box checked for you know pull up your big boy pants and let's move forward um but I've never I haven't heard you say I fucked up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I, like I fucked like, up a lot.
2: <laughs> you know, but but I think it's important for people to hear that and for you to say it because you made yeah. you make comments about the judicial system and I know first yeah, yeah, yeah. It, is, so, it, is, it is not it is not the fairest of, of 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 what you think it is. I get it. But you you are a a three-time you were a three-time criminal. And their job is not to make you feel good to hug your mother. Your job, their job is you fucked up three times that we caught you. Go to jail, you know, but what you did is you said, okay, you know what? That was then. This is now look at me and how you came out. That's the story, you know? Yeah,
4: yeah, And But I I slightly disagree with whether their job, I think their job is to make me not do the things that I was doing anymore. Um, And so... You know, what would actually be more effective, instead of dehumanizing and breaking people down and then not giving them opportunities when they're on in the inside, you are just creating more criminals. You're, you know, if you don't help folks when they go in and you, you treat them as if they're nothing and they'll always be nothing, they will continue to be nothing. Uh, so slight, you know, this, 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 I do not I don't know if we have enough time to get into that debate, but that's, uh, I,
2: I, you know. I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. I, I don't think, you know, that's, we, we, we imprison more people in this country than any other country. And a lot of the stuff that we're putting people in jail for, or is just dumb shit, but right. the rehabilitation. Now there are certain people that just can't be rehabilitated, nor do they want to be rehabilitated. You know, statistically speaking, you look at pedophiles they're not being rehabilitated you know it's like 70 plus percent come back and do it again when they get released from jail but if you have somebody like yourself stan and you go in there already into see this is where you had the edge you were already an intellectual guy you weren't stupid you just decided to take the wrong path even though if having the opportunities at a younger age you could have been doing what you're doing now then you just didn't have that opportunity so you're, you're an enigma, yeah. you're an enigma. You're different than the people that don't, that go, Hey, I can't be Stan. There's no way I'm Stan. I couldn't be Stan. You know? I mean, it's just, you're, you're just a special type of guy.
4: Yeah. You know, I, I actually talk about that in in the book. Um, and you know, I, I, I just have a little bit of a problem with feeling that are like telling the story that I'm exceptional because, I, I had and that I, I'm an exception, you know, when when you say that I'm an exception, that is also in my eyes saying that I'm exceptional and other people aren't exceptional. Right. Um, and I, I have a little bit of a problem with that because I had I met so many brilliant individuals on the inside. I think it was, you know, there was there's actually a lot of people that had the intellect that just it wasn't nurtured um, in the way that I was fortunate enough to eventually get it to be nurtured uh and i you know i think that there's a misconception uh, you know i don't think that we figured out what that percentage is that is irredeemable um and you know um i think we think of it as a, I think where we where we're at now we think it's a higher percentage than what it really is um and you know partly in my book the arg- the argument of the second the subtitle of the book is it is never too late to do good uh, this is this is actually a phrase, you know, I mentioned that my family and I are Haitian. This was a phrase that my dad used to tell me. He, of course, used to tell me it in Creole, which was, "Il um, The actual translation is, it is never too late to do good. But the true meaning that he was telling me was, it is never too late to reach your full potential, and it's never too late to do the right thing. So, for him, he saw this teenage kid making a bunch of poor decisions, getting so deeply entangled into these dangerous situations, yet from his eyes, he was saying that, I believe in you. I just need you to believe in you. Mm-hmm. When you start believing in you, then you will see the value that you can bring to yourself and others. Um, and he had this like level of patience that he believed that I was going to get there. Um, Of course, I ended up losing him before, you know, he can see that I started to understand what he was trying to deliver. But I think what his message was is a powerful message to the system. The system does not believe in people. You know, this prosecutor was okay with sentencing me to life in prison. You know, if I had gotten life in prison, you know, you would never be having this conversation with me. I would never be where I am now. Right. Because I'd be in prison. Like, how many people are in prison that could have been me, but they—they're they, like they have a life sentence. Go, you know, so I think, go,
2: go back to the exceptional comment you made. Um, is just because you're exceptional for the circumstance doesn't mean you're better than anybody else. So I think that's where you're yeah, getting it twisted. Yeah, yeah. Is we're all exceptional in our own story. Like if we're, we all should be. The star of our own movie. There's no reason <laughs> to be in our movie if we're not going to be the star. Nobody wants to be the co-star right. or the extra. So, in order to do that, you have to do exceptional things within your story, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? That's what you do. Yeah, yeah.
4: And and I think that you know everyone has everyone's. I mean, you know, every the book that the challenges that I go through. Everyone doesn't go to prison, right? But. Everyone goes through challenges and barriers and difficult situations, and everyone has people in their life that some be- some believe they can do something, some believe they can't do something. And partly the book is helping people understand that this is a way to, sh- you know, have this inner strength, resilience, to do things that some people say that you couldn't have done. Um, so in that way, it applies to a lot of people. But the, the exceptional, I, I just, in the book, I explain that um, there are, a lot more people than we, the system thinks that have the ability to do what I do. But what's missing is, uh, access and opportunity. So, you know, my, my argument is that we need to find ways to increase access and opportunity to true rehabilitation. Yeah.
2: I'd agree with that. Brandon can tell you firsthand. I mean, look at that face, Stan, he's an exceptional human being. Uh, (laughs) tell Stan how exceptional you are, Brandon.
3: Oh, no, very exceptional. I found out today that blue Sharpies do not taste like blueberries. Look at that.
2: That's exceptional, Stan. <laughs> that, that, that's next level. <laughs> Look, I want to let you go. I really hope people get your book, uh, From Prison Cells to PhD, It's Never Too Late to Do Good. I think you're an exceptional person. I really do. I think the story is one of triumph and and one of overcoming adversity which which I'm a big fan of. You know, when you're when you're dealt you don't you don't just lay down when adversity hits you. You got to stand up and you got to rise above it. So you did that in a huge fucking way. Um, so get Thank the book you. from prison cells to PhD it's never too late to do good. Uh, Stan and Dressy, thanks for coming on and thanks for all the time. We appreciate you.
4: A pleasure. It's been a
0: pleasure. Thank you.
2: All right, talk soon. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Hold up. Wait a minute. Let's hear from our sponsors. The two percenters of the
2: BS podcast has filled up David Hawks and Rockland contracting schedule for months to come. And that's great. Established in 2009, David Hawks, owner of Rockland contracting, veteran owned, specializing in deck design and build. Now, I understand why he's booked for the next couple months. Not to say that it can't get you in, but man, the great weather is coming and you want to get out there on your beautiful deck, beautiful new deck. Rockland Contracting will walk you through all of it. They've got the best deck design software out there. It's really, really cool stuff. Also specializing in basement remodel, new HVAC installation, uh, interior and exterior painting. David Hawks and Rockland Contracting do it all. I've hired David Hawks for stuff uh, of my own house and the cabin. Seeking experienced deck builders as well. So if you're looking for a job, get a hold of David Hawks. Rockland Contracting LLC.com. That's Rockland Contracting LLC.com, where you can call 678 879 3867. 678 879 3867. Look, I know what it's like to start up a small business and run a small business. That's what this is. What can you do to take the next step? Create Graphics can help you out with that. They're a full-service graphics company that specializes in graphic design, and they've got some really good ones in-house. Wide-format printing and graphic installation. Specializing, again, in vehicle wraps, corporate events, interior and exterior events, graphic design, and apparel. A lot of the stuff of the BS Podcast, if not all the stuff, comes from Create Graphics. Creategraphics.net. That's C R E A T E. G-R-A-P-H-I-X dot net or 770-369-9962. That's 770-369-9962. Serving Metro Atlanta and shipping worldwide. Create graphics They definitely know what they're doing. Excellent customer service and communication in every project. We'll get a one-on-one experience from start to finish. Again, create graphics with an X.net. And back to
0: you, Jason.
1: Son of a bitch. How can we be lovers if you're not a subscriber? Nobody is going to save you now. If you like what you hear, then get a full seven days a week plus of new content by subscribing. Podcastthebs.com. It's better than Radio.
2: You have no idea how excited all week I've been to tell this story. So excited. I've been waiting. If I've been doing this almost 30 years, as far as radio goes, and I've always said that this would be the bit of all bits, and I mean that in not the made-up sense, like as far as conversation, storyline, content, evoking emotion, Uh, storytelling, this is it. And I got the phone call that I've been waiting for my entire life. I got the phone call from my biological half-brother.
3: Oh, shit. Yeah.
2: So, (laughs) for those that don't know, I'm a bastard, never met my dad. Uh, I know who he is, and I know that he has three other children, so they would be my half brothers and sisters. I have two older half sisters, and I have uh oh, I have one no, they're all younger than me, so the oldest of them is like a year younger than me, the girl. And then there's another girl that's a little younger, and then the baby would be my half-brother, right? And some years ago, I started following him on Facebook, thinking that he had no idea who I was. And it was weird because I think the only reason I started following him is, I mean, this is a long time ago, but, uh, you know, it says, like, people you may know, it was when that first started, uh, when they, when Facebook first put that out. So, like, in the middle of your thread, there would be boxes of people that you could scroll you know, right to, to right to left. And he was there. And I'm like, wow, that's odd. Kind of looked at it as like a sign. I'm like, ah, fuck it. Why not? I'll see, see if he'll accept my friend request. And I did. And he did. And so every once in a while, I'll like one of his pictures. The crazy thing is, is some year, just a couple years ago, he and his beautiful wife had a gorgeous child. And they named their child Bailey. And all I could think about was because I'm assuming that they don't know who I am. The only person in that family that knows that I exist is our father, which sounds weird to say. Trust me, I'll get more, I'll get into that more here in a second. And so when he's like, we're naming him Bailey, I could just see his father go, oh, or our father, oh, assuming that nobody knew who I was. So this is how this whole thing went down well uh, this happened on Sunday, this past weekend, sometime. And my wife and I were in the man room watching Ozark, into it, binge watching, so into it. And I'm, it was like a break in when we were watching, like she had to get up and go to the bathroom or something. And, and I'm scrolling through Facebook on my phone, and I see that he, his wife... Our father, his mother, were at a, a Baltimore Orioles game. They live up there. Obviously, I'm from Merrill. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Just no big deal like I've done before. I liked the picture. And a uh, couple minutes later, I get a message on Facebook. Yo. From him. Yo. I'm like, yo. <laughs> I yo back. <laughs> yo. And he says do you have time to talk? And I write back, and I hate, I hate saying this. I don't ever say it, but I hate saying this. Just, to, even though it's not what it meant, but I go, do you have any idea who I am? God, I hate that. Just those words. <sighs> make me want to vomit. Not like, I'm asking, you know, I'm your fucking brother. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what I'm asking. And, uh, and he goes, yes, and I've known for a long time. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> you know, when, when you grow up the way that I grew up, I'm not saying that I had the worst upbringing, right? It was pretty dysfunctional. But when you grow up without a father or without a mother, right, you're biological. It's just different. You I know, mean, there are things that, you, that I missed out on. I can talk firsthand from me. There are things that I missed out on that I did not get with my stepfathers, especially the first one who was physically and mentally abusive. The second one, not so much. Financially, he was there. We later became very good friends, my second stepfather. But emotionally, he was not there. I didn't have what my friends had. I didn't have the dad to go play catch after dinner with. I didn't have on bring your dad to school day a dad. My chair sat empty. Very sad. Very, very sad. Um, so there are those things that do mold you into the person that you become, whether for better or for worse. It's uncontrollable. We are a product of, of our upbringing. Like it or not, that's who we are. Not to say that we can't adjust and change. I mean, I, there are people that I know that blame their upbringing on their deficiencies as an adult. And the reason why they couldn't accomplish certain things. I couldn't go to college because I didn't have a real day. De- you know, that's bullshit. Like, I don't buy into that. I'm saying it molds you, helps mold you into the person, whether better or for worse. The better part is, I think what I did, is I took those things. And especially when I met my wife and she already had two kids, that wasn't part of my plan. I didn't need a woman with two kids at that time. I was running the streets and doing pretty well. Right, That was not my plan. But at that time in my life, when we first met 10 years ago, I wanted to get out of the game. And I wanted to settle down. And I fell in love with my wife the first time I saw her. Um, and I fell in love with the kids the first time I met them. And I looked at that as my calling in this world that I'm going to provide what was never provided for me and be the stepdad that you're supposed to be. And I'm sure I made a lot of mistakes on the way, but I think for the most part, I've done a pretty decent job. Um, so that helped mold me into the person I became. So my wife comes back from the bathroom and she, she comes over and I'm sitting on the couch and I'm in shock. I, I'm just in shock. I hadn't responded back to him yet. And I just hold my phone up to her and she looks at it and she goes, who's that? She didn't, I've never, I don't even think I've told her her name, his name. And I said who it was. And we're just sitting there staring at each other, just in shock. Like, what do we do next? She's the first person that says something. And she goes, you better go put a dip in, put your shoes on and get ready to pace. Because she, whenever I get on a long phone call, I'll usually put a dip in. I'll go into the backyard and I pace. I can't be on the phone sitting down, which is weird because I can do shows with a microphone in my face sitting down. But I can't be on the phone in a long phone call, especially something as important as this. Maybe the most important phone call that I've ever had or ever would get in my life. You know, all I can think is the line in Tommy Boy:
3: "Brother's got a hug. I've
2: got a brother. Brother's got." Now I have another brother, which technically is a half brother, two different fathers. But his father's on my birth certificate. The story goes like this. Um. For those that don't know, for those that do, just bear with me, please. Before I was born, my mother worked at a grocery store in Maryland. She was on a break from my brother's father, even though they were still married. My biological father was on a break from his wife which they were still married and still are today. My mother and my father obviously banged. I'm the product of that. What I've been told is he offered her $500 to go get an abortion. My mother took the money. Shocker. Instead of the abortion, she went out and bought a a fur coat and some pizza. And cat in the cradle was on the radio when he broke up with her, or when they broke up, when they split. That's the story I told. Whether it's completely true or not, I have no idea. That's what I've always believed. Um, so I'm here. They're there. I grew up my entire life without knowing them, but I do know my brother, my half-brother. I grew up with him. Uh, we don't talk much these days, unfortunately, but that's just how things go. So I messaged him back. I said, sure. When's a good day and time for you? And he messages me back and says, I thought this was way cool. This dude's so cool. I'm like, he goes, I'm behind the windshield for a while. I got time now. How cool of a statement is that? Like, I've never heard. I'm behind. I'm not driving. I'm not in the car. I'm behind the windshield. Dude, that's way. This guy's awesome. (laughs) Have you ever heard that before, Brandon? I'm behind the windshield. You want to talk now? That's cool. I'm driving. I'm behind the windshield.
3: No, I've never heard that phrase. It sounds like a, something a trucker would say, though.
2: Isn't that cool? Like, just that's so cool. Like, when he said that, I was like, wow, that's cool. I've never even talked to this guy. He's my blood. He's my brother. He's cooler than me. He's cool, and he uses cool lingo. Dude, I'm stealing <laughs> it. I love it. So I was like, all right, give me a minute. And he sends me his phone number. So uh, Rachel comes outside with me. We take the dogs. Beautiful day. We're in the backyard, and I call without hesitation. And... He picks up, and we talk for well over an hour, and I find out that they've known about me for a long time. Uh, Years ago, my mother, who I'm estranged to, everybody knows that, she wrote the oldest girl, my oldest sister, so weird to say it like this, a letter explaining everything and that I exist. I didn't know, at least I don't remember knowing um that that letter was written. I was not speaking to my mother. That was we were trying to figure out the timeline and we more him than than me, but we were assuming she wrote this letter to try to get back into my life. Like she was trying to bring like be the the bridge that brings them to me and I would forgive her for what she did to me. That's, that's, that's the conclusion that we came up with, whether that's true or not, I have no idea. But I told him, I was like, I have no idea about this letter. I had no idea that you guys knew about me. If I, if I knew you knew about me, I would have reached out to you years ago. And of course it was a big deal within their family because his poor mother has known nothing about this. And you know, they've got to be in their late sixties, early seventies. And to get hit with something like that, you know, it's kind of a shocker. Um, so it sucks for her. You know, I felt bad. You know, And, and, and I told him, because he, he asked me, he said, why have you never reached out to us? And I, and I told him, I said, you know, I think about it every day. Uh, I have my entire life, especially my biological father, knowing at least the last time I heard he worked for this certain paper company that supplied like paper to every single restroom in the world. So the company's name was always on the paper towel dispensers in the bathroom in the men's room. So when I was getting my, you know, drying my hands, I don't, I was like, I have a dad out there. You know? <laughs> it's just, it's just something weird. I never told anybody that before, but it's just something weird. So uh, I, I told him, I said, you know, I, sh- I've struggled with it every day for years. You know, one side of me I think it's healthy and good and we're all at an age as we're all adults that we should at least connect to meet, you know, God forbid something happens to any of us in the blink of an eye, something can happen. Right. And we would never have met. But on the other side, and this is what really stopped me from, from reaching out was the fact that, um, I didn't want to ruin their family. You know, I kept asking myself, What's so special about you that you entering this family's life that could possibly destroy it? Like w- w- that seems selfish. Like you have a good life. You have a, for the most part, you know. I have a family. I have a wife. We have kids. We have dogs. You know. I have a career. I think. Um, you know. We have a house. You know. We do well, right? So, so what? what what's what's my what 's my motive? My motive, of course, is to meet my my biological siblings, right, uh, possibly rekindle a relationship with my biological father um, but i don 't want to step on anybody 's toes i didn 't want them to f- think less of their father i 'm not special you know there 's no need for me to be involved in that, so I told him that, and he says you know, it's amazing that you say that. That's very nice. Um, I appreciate you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, I want to say blah, blah, blah. I'm not blowing them off, but you just said a bunch of stuff after that. And then, you know, we kind of, uh, uh, just kind of just talked about this and our families and what everybody does. And, you know, I find out that they actually feel bad for me. um, Because of of my upbringing and that I didn't have a father in my life. And I was like, really? Well, okay. And uh, I guess his mother, who seems like an amazing woman, his mother, her sister, listened to either the radio show or the podcast. And so did he. He searched for episodes that had family in the title. Smart kid. And got to hear pretty much the story, you know. Uh, and I've never bashed my biological father because you know nothing to bash about him. Uh, my mother, on the other hand, we all know that story. So, so we left it at, you know. He's like, you know, if it was kind of weird, we both wanted the same thing of, hey, uh, maybe we can meet up, you know, or something. You know, like it was like Mari Povich, like I should call Mari, get on, get some TV time. It was like, maybe we should, you know, maybe we can meet up. I was like, I'd love that. I got nothing but time. And I caught myself because I almost said, I got nothing but time, brother. You know, because I say brother all the time, just like anybody. But this is actually my fucking brother. <laughs> Some of the verbiage was very weird, Brandon. Was catching myself not saying brother, like dude or man. Also referring to our father. I said our father. I've never in my life use those words to somebody else. I've never, because I, I couldn't.
3: Yeah, I, who are you going to tell? Yeah, I
2: mean, now my brother, I've said our mother, but I've, uh-huh. I have you know, when I'm 46 years old, I'll be 47 in June. When you start doing things that you've never done before, they stand out. When you say our father to your blood brother, your half brother, with your biological father, That's just weird, man. It was a trippy, trippy day. I didn't want to get off the phone with them, but I didn't want to use up all the stories either. (laughs) Like I I I, I, I wanted to cry, you know, and I told him, I said, if I get hit by a bus today, tomorrow, thank you. I've always wanted this. I never thought I would get it. This has been the most important phone call of my life. And I'm so happy that whether you're in my life for 60 minutes or for the rest of it, at least you were a part of it. And I was a part of yours. That's special. Thank you. And uh, so we hit it off. He's a really smart guy, cool dude. And he said to me, he goes, I've always wanted to reach out to you because I follow obviously everything you do on social media. And I'd be lying if I didn't say I, I haven't trolled you over the years and you know looked at some of the stuff you've done he's like you just seem like a great guy just a cool dude to hang out with and and you're my brother like i'm like going all these days are going by that i'm not taking advantage of just hanging out with a good dude and i was like yeah i was like some might disagree with that but you know i think for the most part yeah i'm pretty i'm, I'm pretty okay uh so we uh, kind of left it at i told him i'd Come up there. What actually, you know what I should have said, Tom Randall? Right I should have said, look, you motherfuckers owe me a lot. You come here.
3: <laughs> Back the family up and come here.
2: <laughs> if anything, you tell our father to fork out money for first class and the best of the best Airbnb or hotel stay in Atlanta, Georgia. You motherfuckers come to me. I mean, I'm talking about everybody. You just come on down. No, I didn't say that. I was like, I can come up there. It makes more sense. It's was like, and if you think it's going to be awkward for you guys, think about me, go, the numbers, <laughs> because, you know, everybody's going to probably want a little piece of me, right? Everybody's going to want to see, oh, what's this guy like? Is he, is he in, does he want something? And that was the other thing is I never, I never wanted them to think that I wanted something. You know, I mean, there's a statute of limitations for child support and all that stuff, and I, I've never even, you know, thought of that. Like, I don't want anything from anybody. Uh, I want to make my own, and I don't want to, i don't want anything um so uh so anyway so I, I said why don't you why don't you clear it with the rest of the fam and see what they say and if they're cool with it then i'll hop on a plane tomorrow and i can go up there i'll bring my Ready. little bring my little podcast case and i'll do the podcast up there
3: if <laughs> i say you got to get them on the podcast <laughs>
2: Okay, so it's funny you ask that. So, you know, I've been talking the last couple of days about possibly changing up the network and this and this and that, just because uh-huh. there are certain shows that, if you look at the numbers, people enjoy more than others. People love our Monday and Friday shows because they're more like radio shows. You know, we've got a guest and more content and this and this and that. It's not so gimmicky and bitty and they're long or two, three hours, which I would think people would love shorter ones because the Black Cloud podcast does well, but it's free. Now, granted, all the shows this week have been free on purpose. Hopefully people like what they hear and they subscribe moving forward. How great of an idea is this? And I don't know if the name exists for a podcast or or what, but what if I built a podcast with me and my new brother, call it What's Up, Brother, and we just get to know each other? I mean, it's that simple, 30, 60 minutes, whatever, Like we're having a phone conversation. But see, I don't know if they're open to that world. Like there's this fine line of, because I've always said, you know, the best bit of all bits would be to have my biological father on the air. That'd be a ratings getter. I'm trained that way. Being in the entertainment business for almost three decades, you're trained to involve your personal life into your entertainment life. You do it not necessarily for ratings or subscribers or something, but the audience becomes part of your family and you want to share with them what you're going through. And they, 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 the audience will hold your feet to the fire if you don't, because they feel like they deserve that. There are certain things that they'd understand, but something like this, they would enjoy, but I'm caught Brandon in this like weird gray area of going, yeah, I know we just start, we just first met, we're going to get to know each other, but would you be open to do a podcast with me? I mean, it'd be <laughs> great for the audience. <laughs> like, you know, how do you pitch that? So I, I I think I'll hold that until later down the road. Let us get to know each other a little bit more. See how this whole thing pans out. Uh, I, I, I I'm optimistic. I think that it's going to be great. I hope it is. I'm excited about it. Um, I hope I don't get disappointed where they're like, yeah, you know, toss it around to everybody. <laughs> they're good.
3: Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've gone this long, you know, do we really need to see them?
2: <laughs> they said, you know, if you want to talk to them every once in a while, by all means, but you know, the rest of us are fine. Thanks, though. <laughs> and it could happen. You know, it, it really could. It, it, it could. Um, you know, they don't need me in their lives. They don't.
3: Um,
2: Truth be told, I don't
3: need them either. i was about to say you don't either. I mean, y'all both have been living separate lives and doing pretty much just fine.
2: But I speak for myself. I think my life would be better if I did have them in my life. In my life,
3: just at this point now.
2: Yeah, man, it, it, it it's like the Laginas finally find some finding <laughs> something on Oak Island. I mean, it, like we've waited this long. There's got, you know how I tick. There's a payoff to everything. There's got to be. There's got to be closure. There's got to be a conclusion. There's a start. There's a finish. That's why every race starts and ends. I mean, there's a start. There's a finish. Every television show, there's a, there's a beginning and there's an end. Everything in life, as a human being, you need closure. You need to have, um, you, you, you need to have an end. Now, closure comes in many different forms. When you're dealing with death, and if you subscribe to the five stages of death by Kubler-Ross, which are uh, denial, uh, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, acceptance could be your payoff. If you can accept that you'll never know or you can accept the unknown, that's closure. You've accepted it. You've accepted nothing, essentially. You know, But with this especially now with it's within reach, you know, I've got information, I've got Intel, I've learned something that I've never known before about me and my family. Um, I think there's, 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 there's more to that that needs to, to unravel. So he texts me the next day too, which was way cool. He's like, you know, Hey man, just wanted to say thanks again for the phone call. And like, he's gung ho about this. And so am I, you know, he's like, just keep in touch, you know? So like, I, I, want to text him every once in a while be like hey dude what's up send him a cat meme or i don't know something I don't know, what do you do like
3: what, what, what I do just I... watch ogarch ozarks got her head blown off dumb bitch. lol
2: <laughs> yeah like how, how do you have a a what up fella random conversation with your brother that you just met but you want to stay in contact and develop some kind, some type of camaraderie what kind of text messages do you suggest I send to him? Uh,
3: maybe. I mean, do you think you'll have like sports or poker in common? Maybe. But, oh, did you see the game? But then at the same time, it's like you probably don't watch the same sports teams because they're way up there and we're way down here.
2: Who's a big Orioles fan. I used to be. I couldn't tell you one player on that team right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if he's a wrestling fan. I
3: don't think. Maybe like does. send him a picture of something you're cooking on the KJ or. In the pizza oven, something like that. <laughs> Maybe food. You think he cooks? You know. I mean, what else are you talking about? You know nothing about the guy. I, 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 the that's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. Like,
2: like dude, look at my dog. Just barks.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I guess you just got to show him stuff that you do. You know. He's got a what? You just got to show him stuff that you do, I guess. So that way you like, get to know each other a little bit.
2: Yeah, you kind of have to brag about yourself. I mean, we've got forty. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. I, I've got forty-six years of life. To explain to him, yeah, and he's also my younger brother.
3: That's another thing. I, I've never had a younger brother. You know, how much younger is he? I don't
2: know. I want to say probably about ten years, which would be how how much older my older brother is to me—about ten years. So there's a. I, I want to say about ten years. He's. I think he's in his thirties. I could be wrong. I don't know. I didn't. I think I don't know if I asked him
3: or not. I said that'd probably be a good question. But wait a minute, how old are you? You know. Everyone has age, you can talk about that. <laughs> yeah, age,
2: weather, I don't know, talk about something. Um, so,
3: I don't know. What do you
2: think about all this? Pretty cool?
3: Yeah, I think it's pretty crazy. The The hunt is almost over.
2: The, what would be the hunt? Uh, the big guy, father?
3: Uh, Yeah, I'd say so, probably, yeah.
2: Do you think you're like, th-
3: hunting for it the whole time, and then now you're <laughs> getting so close to it, and you can almost taste the antelope in your teeth.
2: antelope in my teeth
3: yeah yeah like you're a tiger on the hunt or a cougar wow okay chasing something down
2: (laughs) so so what if it's the opposite you know the first thought is if i were to reach out i'd want something what if they're reaching out to me not because they want something but they want to tell me something like i have all these thoughts that are going through my head you know could it be just as simple as he's known he's always wanted to reach out he just finally pulled the trigger, that kind of thing, uh, or is our father sick?
3: And Ooh, yeah.
2: you know that kind of—I I don't know.
3: Uh, you were treating it like it's happy and a good thing, but it could be something bad.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, you just—you just don't know. Um, so, but if—if if they clear it that I—that they want to meet me, I'm—I'm uh, I'm gone like the next day. Like uh, like as soon as I get off the phone, I'm gonna. Book a, a flight up there.
3: You're going to go by yourself? No,
2: I'd take my wife with me.
3: Oh, okay. There you go. Good idea.
2: She, she would, she wouldn't stay home. She's not missing this for the world. She, <laughs> she loves this stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's, she's, she came outside while I was on the phone, didn't hear any, I don't think, any of the conversation. She just, she loves this stuff. She likes to be caught up in the middle of it. So I don't know. It's, it's, um, It's definitely very interesting. It's uh, it, it's very exciting. Uh, you know, I want to get my hopes up. I think I should get my hopes up. I'm like a kid, you know. I mean, to meet yeah. to meet your siblings, your father, to be introduced to their lives for the first time, knowing that it's always been there, and they reached out to me, which was very helpful in this whole thing. <laughs> Yeah. It really was, you know, because I don't know if I ever would have reached out to him. There's been times, full disclosure, that I've started a message and I never sent it. To who? To my brother.
3: Your brother? Yeah. Oh, your brother? Okay. Yeah.
2: Um, I just, I, I didn't know what to say. I mean, this, this dude knocked it out of the park. All I had to do was say, yo. I mean, how fucking cool is that? Like I'm sitting here deep thought going, huh, you know, I got this long thing, you know, like like paragraphs long and this little Facebook messenger thing. You know, he's, he's yo, <laughs> <laughs> yo, you got some time to chat him behind the windshield. <laughs> like he's got, he's much smarter than I am. Um, so it was funny because some of the things that I was telling him, uh, I get, I'm a lot like our father, like some of my characteristics and, things that I do and things that I'm into and that I like and those types of deals. Um, And my wife even says that with some of the facial expressions. He said that too. It's like your facial expressions and, you know, some of the pictures you take is like, you guys are a lot alike. I was like, all right. But, you know, uh, uh, like I'm picturing, I I fly in, they give me an address, whether I rent a car, Uber, doesn't matter. I show up. Somebody's peeking through the the window. He's here. He's here. He's here. He's here. Everybody, he's here. Act normal. Act natural. Read a book. You know, but they're all planning on what they're going to say. We all are awkwardly weird and feel uncomfortable. I take that long walk from the street or the driveway up to the front door. He would probably greet me. We would shake hands and then probably hug I might cry. I got to be honest with you. I might cry. I think I'm going to cry. I'm not going to purposely cry. I'm not going to forcefully cry. I really think I would cry. Because I almost cried on the phone call the other day. What a pussy. Yeah,
3: I mean, it was like 40, what, 46 years of emotion all bottled up?
2: Yeah, but what a fucking wimp I've become. God almighty. It
3: could be a Pixar movie.
2: Jesus, Mary and Joseph. You got to toughen up, kid. This is absurd. I'm crying, Bailey talking about crying. That's not me. Anyway, I'd probably cry, wipe some tears, and then everybody's standing up. Maybe the oldest of the family, whoever that might be, like a grandma, a granddad, they're st- sitting down because they can't get up. And it's a not a huge room, good size room. TV's off, or maybe on a, a, a ball game.
3: Light, oh, there light you noise
2: go. in the background. You can smell something cooking in the kitchen. Because that's always, you know, hey, would you like some party wieners or party meatballs or, you know, something like that. Um, And a couple other people would come to me. This is how I'm envisioning it, by the way. A couple other people, like my sisters, would probably be the next in line to come up. And they would hug me. I would hug them. We'd cry some more. And then as I get through the sea of family members that are there, there's my father, our father art in heaven, that would be thy name. And he's there. And we look at each other. Something, I need to say something quippy, like, been a minute, dad. You know, or something like that, you know. (laughs) Hey, happy Father's Day times 46. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta come up with something. Shake his hand. And then we bring each other in.
3: And then we hug it out. And then and the cutscene says, Chef Boyardee, those <laughs> <laughs> commercials for the cans, making his way back home.
2: And then somebody would say like, hey, let's take it outside where there's more room. And you got the, 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 you don't need a beer, you need a drink. And then it starts to, after we get through that awkward, uncomfortable moment, it starts to open up. And then we go outside and there's a barbecue going. There's some dogs frolicking. There's some kids in a pool. Um, and uh, they got beers on ice. And they got some music playing in the back. They got balloons. They got tablecloths on the tables. You're getting ready to do a crab boil or something. You know, that that's kind of how I'm picturing this. Now I probably shouldn't be picturing anything because it's never gonna be what I'm picturing. (laughs) Unless they're listening to this right now, they're going, we know what we're going to do if he comes and business. <laughs>
3: Write that down. Write that down.
2: <laughs> this is what he wants. We owe him this. <laughs> yeah. But, the, uh, but the, his mother, my brother's mother, my biological father's wife, um, she, uh, her sister would listen to the podcast. And she actually told the kids, like, especially my brother, said, you should reach out to him. You know, she, was, she was pushing the issue. She was like, it's not his fault. He did nothing wrong and I didn't, you know, I'm a product of a bang. That's all I am. I'm a product of horny, whatever. And so, uh, I hold zero animosity. Like I really don't. Like, I guess some people without fathers that haven't been around their whole life, they're, they're pissed off that they weren't there. I'm not that guy. Not at all. I've never that I can remember been mad that I never had my biological father in my life. Not once. Never blamed any failures in my life of not having a father. Um, I blamed not knowing shit because I never had a father. You know, like stuff around the house, car stuff, girl stuff. You know, that sucks. Mm-hmm. And think about, you know, you you got a good dad, Brandon, and he was there, always there for you from my understanding your whole entire life. He still is. You guys live together. Yep. Think about all the important things your dad taught you. Can you can you rattle off a couple top of your head that you'll always remember? It could be the simplest of things.
3: Um it's, uh, always treat a gun like it's loaded.
2: Okay, that's a great one. All right. You got any more?
3: Always uh, always play your hardest. Okay. No matter right. what it is, you know.
2: Nothing wrong with that. Those are that's great. That's great fatherly advice. Let's take the gun thing. So any time, every time you go out and shoot a firearm, you check to uh-huh. see if it's loaded, right? Yep. Okay. And you always think of your father when you do that, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm sure there's been a time or two that you've checked the gun. And even though somebody said it's not loaded, it was loaded. Either way, you thought of your father. You always remembered your father. He gave you such great advice. You'll never forget it. And someday you'll pass it down to whether it's your own child or just somebody else. Um, the littlest of pieces of advice like that, can you imagine now growing up and never knowing that from your father or anybody? Nobody's going to tell you that. You know what I mean, somebody might, but you might, you're not going to remember it like your father would tell you something. Your father tells you something, you remember it because it's your father. You trust him 100%. Somebody else says it. you're like, oh, whatever, fuck you.
3: I'll, yeah.
2: I'll pull the trigger and I'll see it for myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but just, just imagine those pieces of advice that you, you know, you get into a bind, you know, as you build your backflow sprinkler lawn care company and you're busting your ass building this company, making a name for yourself, doing something in life, not just sitting on your ass, collecting a check. You're trying to make something of yourself. When those days get tough, and the darkest of days seem impossible, that voice in your head is your dad saying, work your hardest, never give up. And you remember that. He keeps you going. He inspires you without him actually being present. And he'll always do that, even after he's gone. Imagine now growing up without that.
3: Yeah, that'd definitely be uh, pretty tough. Definitely thankful for the upbringing I had. But I guess it's, I guess it's kind of that theory, though, like if you don't know how would you know no like if you never experienced how would you know i'm telling you oh <laughs>
2: yeah,
3: I'm like, <laughs> okay I, I, i'm I, just saying i guess i guess you just what you saw like your friends dads around and they would give them advice and relate it to you and you're like well damn i don't get none of that
2: i was ex- always extremely jealous of my buddies dads fathers um more or less in well no actually it started when i was younger so one of my uh good friends when I was younger. He passed away at a very young age of a very rare, I think, bone cancer. His name was Kurt Brock. And uh, he lived kind of in our neighborhood, but a walking distance. And, you know, I had certain friends growing up that were friends for certain reasons because I was kind of a, an auxiliary friend. You know, was, I was an auxiliary guy. I could go and play sports. I could go fishing. I could build a fort. I could stay inside and play G.I. Joe and Transformers. Uh, I could watch wrestling with you. You know, I could do it all. But a lot of my friends didn't like all those things. So they were specific friends. Kurt, he was kind of an auxiliary guy. We would go out and play Smear the Queer, which I know is not the name of it anymore, but, um, and we'd build forts. But he was mainly my G.I. Joe Star Wars Transformer friend. And he, he didn't, they didn't live in a large house, it was a pre manufactured house. And, you know, we'd get the new Star Wars figure or something like that. We'd go over and we'd play, you know, pew, 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 pew. You know, he he was that guy to me. But his father was so invested in his children, both he and his uh, younger sister, Stacy. And I would watch it. They would sit down every night for dinner, have cordial conversations. He would talk about his day at the grocery store. He was a, I believe, deli manager. Um, I think the wife maybe worked from home part time or just was a stay at home mom. And he he would take us to the toy store and he was so into what Kurt was doing. Like if he was into Star Wars was really the thing. His father loved Star Wars. His father actually bought duplicates on a very low budget, small budget duplicates of everything he got for Kurt. And he put them in storage because he was a visionary and he knew one day they'd be worth something. I wonder how much he sold them for because we had everything, both of us. We had everything you could possibly buy in the original Star Wars collection. It was amazing. I was jealous of that. My stepfather at the time was beating my mother up, putting her in the hospital, giving her stitches in the nose, you know, yelling and screaming at me, choking me out. And this guy's dad is playing Star Wars with him. You know, talk about G.I. Joe. Uh, That's just fucking cool. I didn't have that. And then as I got older, uh, more into sport, well, I was into sports at a young age. Nobody was throwing the ball with me. I had to go over to my buddy's house to play, and sometimes their dad would come out. And I always recognized that their father would come out to play catch, not because he had to, because we already had two people. He did it to be a part of his son's life. This is my friend, Chris or Jeremy. And then when I got into high school and I'm playing in front of people for football, there's nobody there. And I almost had to beg my mother, my senior year to come out and be a part of the process because I to explained to her, it was a thing and I was actually good at something. And, 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 you could watch that. And she just kind of faked it, which, you know, in her defense, that's fine. At least she was there. Um, and she, she was a very much a part of my senior year in high school, but before that she wasn't, she didn't give a fuck. But you know my best friend, John, uh, who's a high school football coach down in Venice, Florida. A very good one, by the way, they just won state championship last year. His father was amazing. He's now since passed, God rest his soul. But his dad was so amazing. Raised two great boys, was a great husband to his wife, built an amazing family, provided for him and was always there at every game taking video of his of John for colleges so they could put together a highlight reel. And eventually ended up doing it for me because I had nobody to do it. And he asked me, he said, do you want to go to college to play football? I go, I'm not good enough. He goes, yes, you are. And so I, I got footage because of him. Um, they helped me do that. That's special, man. I didn't have any of that. You know, I'm not, I'm not bringing this up because all woe is me kind of shit, but I'm bringing it up because of what happened. I'm not saying I'm going to get all this back. Like going to say that, Hey man, I'll see you next week. I show up there. The first thing I say is got a glove, got a ball. What do you say? We hit the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to happen. But my point is, is when you grow up without a mother or a father, right? They both hold a certain amount of weight that when your child does not have it, It sucks. And there are things that go missing, you know. That's why I hate to see people get divorced with kids, especially young kids. Um, Their lives are going to be fine, but it will affect that child. One way or the other, it will affect that child. If the dad's a raging, drug-induced, alcoholic dickhead, and you need to get out of that abusive relationship, which you should, it's unfortunate that he's that guy. Because your kid is going to go without If you're breaking up because one of you decides to cheat, that's bullshit. Cheat after 18. You know? That should be the rule. Don't cheat on your
3: significant. Cheat after 18?
2: Yeah. After your kid turns 18 and is out of the house.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: No, I'm not saying cheat with a 15 year old person. I'm saying. (laughs) if if, If you're one of those people that like to cheat, wait until your kid's 18. Because. Then you can go your separate ways and their lives are off to something anyway. So it doesn't matter um, because it, it takes a toll on them. It affects them. So anyway, that was uh, the big phone call. I hope I hope I was able to pay off all the teasing and an anticipation. I was not vague booking as Brandon called me out on earlier this week. I was teasing <laughs> with a payoff and a possible ongoing storyline, which is fantastic and very exciting for all of us. What do you think about all this, Brandon?
3: <laughs> I think it's a, it's a great story. Like I said, the hunt is uh, almost over. And now we get to transition it into people saying the fuck word. <laughs> yeah,
2: I know, yeah. What, <laughs> now now, you know somebody will probably bring this up, but what if what if I go up there and I meet everybody and they don't like me or I don't like them. And I'm like, why the fuck did I do this? Or, okay, that's cool, and I really don't want to talk to him anymore. Or they don't, well, he's not the greatest guy. I don't think I want to talk to him. Did you hear he just said fuck the other? He does a thing on the <laughs> show called Everything's Better With Fuck. I don't think we want him around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Could happen. Oh, man. It could happen. Yeah, very possible.
2: So, I don't know. life's a journey. You're just going to have to figure it out and go along the way. All right. Uh, let's finish up this Friday show with Everything's Better With
3: Fuck.
0: <laughs> Whatever we do. It's better with fuck. what? Everything's, Everything's
2: better, better with them. Fuck. all right. I, I don't remember getting any suggestions, you know, I usually take yours if you got good ones, I'll take them. Uh, so I had to come up with this one on my own, and it would be Everything's Better with Fuck 2022 NFL Draft Edition. Okay, I don't know if okay. you watched the draft last weekend, by the way, Everything's Better with Fuck. Sponsored by Chef Erica, Erica EricaNicoleDay.com. Are you ready to give a fuck about your health? And check out Chef Erica, Erica EricaNicoleDay.com. Experienced culinary medicine consultant and private chef with medical and high-end restaurant background. Available for consulting on meal planning for weight loss. Yeah. Helping with medical conditions. Yeah. Or strict macros for bodybuilding and fitness training. She can help you with all that. And she's a fantastic human being on top of all of it. Which is very, very cool. Like, way cool. Uh, Chef Erica at ericanicoleday.com. Thank you. Do you watch any of the NFL drafts there, Brandon? Is that your is that your thing?
3: No, not really, but I saw one of my buddies I used to play with in high school got drafted to the 49ers. So How, linebacker.
2: Hold on. How long ago did you play football? How long did you go? When did you graduate?
3: 2017.
2: So he's been out of school for five years and just got drafted?
3: Um, he's been playing in college, North Carolina.
2: Oh, that's right. You didn't go to college. Oh, that's right. You would be at an age where you'd be graduating college. Okay. I got you. Yeah. I'm trying to mix up. Okay.
3: Um, where did he, who was he? Where'd he go? Uh, yeah, North Carolina,
2: North Carolina. And he went to the 49ers. Yep. Linebacker.
3: Yep. Pretty sure. What round? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I just saw, uh, North Carolina posted it on their Instagram.
2: That's pretty cool. The yeah. quarterback for Roswell High School, Malik Willis, a couple of years back, went and played at Liberty. You know, it wasn't a big quarterback draft, but uh, he went fourth round, third round, Seattle, I think, which oh, is great. Cool. You know, Steelers took the first quarterback in the draft, first round, 16th pick with Kenny Pickett from Pitt, which is kind of cool. You know, gets to play in same stadium, gets to stay there. You know, they, they certain teams, Pittsburgh's one of those teams that – you need a certain type of player at the quarterback position. You just can't take anybody like the Mason Rudolphs and the Mitchell Trubinskis. They're not Pittsburgh Steeler quarterbacks. You gotta be, you, you gotta have that Pittsburgh in you, you know, that steel town blood. Uh, it's a, it's a way of life. So I thought that was a very cool pick for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't even know what the Falcons did. They 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 they, they took somebody. I don't know. Yeah. I think oh they took uh, Drake London. That's right. The wide There's receiver. Wide receiver. Yeah, the wide yeah. receiver. Because they don't have any. Like, they have zero wide. It's funny because all the social media stuff that they put out, they make it seem like they've got this high powered offense. You don't have shit. <laughs> you, guys, yeah. you, guys, you guys are going to be horrible. This is going to be <laughs> ugly. you know. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I wish you nothing but the best of luck. So here's uh, some of the stuff from the draft that I picked out that I thought would probably have sounded better if you inserted fuck. Since Nate's not with us, Brandon, you are the sole judge and jury. 1 to 10, 10 being the best. The winner gets played a second time. Are you ready?
3: I'm ready. All right, here's your first one.
0: Let's Las Vegas. (laughs) Come on, Las Vegas. Ah. Come on. Okay. Welcome to the twenty two NFL Fuck. <laughs> Roger
2: Cadell going down and welcome to everybody to the draft held in Las Vegas, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh first one, one to ten. What do you think?
3: Uh you know, it was a good one. He came out strong with the came out of the gates pretty strong. I like the fuck Las Vegas and the twenty twenty two fuck. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go with, uh, I'll start off with a nine.
2: Ooh, that's high. That's great. I mean, can you imagine him coming out going, let's fuck Las Vegas. Let's fuck. Come on, let's <laughs> fuck Las Vegas. <laughs> that's pretty funny. All right, a nine for the first one. That's strong. I don't think he ever opened up with a nine before. Here's
0: your second one. With the first. Fuck! In the 2022 NFL Draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars select Trayvon fuck! Walker. Linebacker, <laughs> Georgia. <laughs>
2: I thought that'd be cool to have a nickname. He's Trayvon Fucking Walker. <laughs>
3: yeah, that's funny. Uh, that was a good one. I think that's a that's a nine also. Uh, it can't be a ten. It has to be a nine. Nah, no, I think it's a nine. I think you're missing a little bit.
2: We don't we don't give out tens, do we? All right, I got one more for you. Here we go.
1: All right, so let's check out the fuck cam presented by Lowe's. There he is. A Georgia fuck. dog. What a season it was for the Georgia Bulldogs, winning a national championship, and now they have the first overall pick in the 2022 draft. Celebrating, and he is the first Georgia fuck. dog to be chosen first overall since Matthew Stafford.
2: Georgia fuck dogs. That's pretty strong. Yeah. I love the <laughs> mascot.
3: Funny. It reminded me of uh, like Bob Minnery commentating. <laughs> 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 Uh, I, uh, course,
2: that was uh, Rich Eisen, of course, who I'm not a big fan of. Anyway, all right, 1 to 10. What do you got?
3: Um, i give you a 9.5 on that.
2: Okay, so that's the winner, huh? Yeah. Wow. Like <laughs> I got three nines, which I've never gotten before. That's really, really impressive. All right, so here's the winner.
1: All right, so let's check out the fuck <laughs> cam presented by Lowe's. There he is. <laughs> A Georgia Bulldog. What a season it was for the Georgia Bulldogs winning a national championship. And now they have the first overall pick in the 2022 draft celebrating. And he is the first Georgia Bulldog to be chosen first overall since Matthew Stafford.
2: There you go. That's the winner. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for all the nines and nine and a half. I appreciate that uh that so the there's bears legend was fired from his media gig after allegedly attacking an employee this was during the draft so former bears center walked off the set when chicago selected defensive back instead of an offensive lineman all right this guy's i guess an offensive lineman i don't even know who he is olin Kruitz. And he was uh, fired from CHGO. So it's probably some local Georgia, I mean, uh, Chicago thing. And he was pissed off. Because, I mean, this is all into, like these sportsy people are fucking nerds. Like, you think Star Wars fans and Comic-Con fans and all these people are nerds. Sports people are more nerds than any of them. I don't know when this happened. Because I grew up an athlete my entire life. And sports guys jocks we're supposed to have a certain mentality. The people, the sportsy people I've been around are nerds. Nerds. This guy walks off the set because he's not happy who the team that he no longer plays for picked? Really? Um, then uh, they said he was he physically attacked an employee. Uh, they said on Monday morning, an incident occurred in which Olin Kruitz, physically attacked a CHGO employee. Effective immediately, Owen Kruitz is no longer with CHGO. The statement said, although we were shocked by the incident, we are thankful that the employee is okay. The health and safety of our employees is the of the utmost importance and we will not tolerate any action and puts it in jeopardy. Uh, he didn't have any remorse, they say on the story. He jumps onto Twitter with a response. Instead of apologizing and denying any wrongdoing, he quotes Mike Tyson. Social media made y'all way too comfortable with disrespecting people and not getting punched in the face for it. So the guy acts like a nerd, walks off set when the Chicago Bears pick somebody he doesn't agree with, and then I'm assuming somebody said something and he punches them like a tough guy would, like an ath- I mean that's like an athlete thing to do. I agree with you. But he's a mixture of both. He's like a tough guy nerd. You can't have both. That's not how this works, Olin. And your name's Olin. You can't be tough if your name's Olin. It's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely impossible. Uh, So that happened at the draft. Probably weren't aware of it, but now you are. All right. Uh, I hope you enjoyed all this week of the FreeBay Shows. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe. Tell a friend to subscribe. It's very simple. It's very inexpensive. Seven days a week, new content, fresh new content on the BS Network. Uh, not only do we have uh, the Bailey Show podcast on Monday and Friday, Tuesdays we do the top three, which is always a lot of fun. Thursdays we do Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Wednesdays is the OG of the Black Cloud. That'll always be free. But on top of that, we have uh, three other podcasts, including Tuesdays we release the Only Brandy and Lindsay podcast, which is dirty. If you're into dirty stuff, they're very dirty. Very sexy. Very dirty. Uh, Thursday we release uh, Not Your Typical Tea with Nikki D and Maddie. Uh, and then Brandon and deaf August do their highly successful and much downloaded. I might add clueless Two podcast on Sunday. And I actually think we give that that's always going to be free too. So, um, if you like it, support the calls, you know, we've got a really cool group of people that have been with us from the beginning, which was only six months ago. That's why we call them the two percenters and on all of our social medias, they make it known, which is way cool. You know, you go on our YouTube page, subscribe there. Follow us, like us, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook. Uh, ask to be a part of the Facebook 2 Percenters uh, private group. that's very active with some way cool people. So uh, you can meet some people and, you know, take care of our sponsors. We like to keep that in-house. We've got pretty – so far we've got – well, there's a lot out there, but so far we've got something for everybody, you know, whether it's Rockland Contracting, a defense attorney and Manny Aurora – um, a civil attorney in Tyler Watkins, you know, uh, a mortgage with Dave Flashner and Stockton Mortgage. I mean, we just, the list goes on and on. Newberty, T, you know, I was up there the other day and one of our listeners rose up there. So, uh, Ryan, I think his name was. So, it's pretty cool. All right. PodcasttheBS.com. Thanks for the support. Thanks for listening all this week. I know you're listening because our numbers were up. So, thank you for doing that. And, uh, please subscribe so you're back with us next week. And you can continue the story. Find out what happened to Nate and find out what's going to happen with my new family. I got a family. I got a, that's what Rachel keeps saying. She goes, you know, you have a family now. I go, I know. Isn't that cool? She's like, just the blink of an eye. One day we're watching Ozark. We take a break. I come back from the bathroom and you have a family. <laughs> it's like just that water. It's great. All right. Brandon, you got anything before we go into a weekend?
3: Get the antelope in your teeth.
2: You saying? Are you saying cantaloupe or antelope?
3: Antelope. antelope. Sounds like cantaloupe. Is that, a I imagine. S-
2: is that a saying that I don't know of?
3: Uh, well, I just started saying it. I don't know. I feel like it's a good saying though. You know, you hunt down your prey and huh. attack, and you have to hunt and okay. got that sweet antelope in your teeth.
2: Okay, you think that's going to catch on? Yeah. You think Shannon Watts will be on the Two Percenters Facebook group and ask Nate to make a T-shirt out of it?
3: Yeah, they can make like Nate can make a antelope made out of cantaloupe. <laughs> <laughs> I or, can't lope. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad it's a
2: weekend. All right. Hey, uh, have yourself a great, safe uh, weekend, right? Thanks for listening, and, uh, of course, we'll talk to you soon.
1: And bye.
0: Get off my lawn. It's old man Kevin, and the BS is done for right now.
1: Please share, like, and support. Podcast at BS.com. It's better than
0: radio. Now, get out of here.